Person of Interest Podcast, episode number 28, a more reassorted QSO. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Hello there. Welcome to the Person of Interest podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to Person of Interest on CBS. I'm Daryl, and I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of a secret tunnel behind my bathroom sink. Your wife would like to know, yeah. <laughs> and I'm Doug, coming at you from WKCP AM 420, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Ladies and gentlemen, we are so glad to have you here with us. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, because it might be a while. I don't know. We're covering The Person of Interest, Season 5, Triple... Show Extravaganza, episodes 6, 7, and 8, which originally aired May 23rd and 24th, 2016, entitled A More Perfect Union, QSO, and Reassortment. Mm, yeah. As my friend Chip would say, grab yourself a seat at the bar and get yourself a frosty malt beverage and or whatever it is that you choose to imbibe of and uh, let's just yeah we're gonna have a good time this is probably gonna be a little bit of a marathon podcast because we had three episodes to discuss this week but uh, we're gonna break them all down for you we've got a lot of your thoughts to include in this episode so yeah get comfortable get cozy don't fall asleep no and uh, we're gonna have some fun today oh i forgot to bring my mountain dew that would be my uh you know Keep alive juice of choice. Yes, I do indeed. have a, a fresh cup of coffee here in front of me, so hopefully I won't fall asleep during the course of our podcast <laughs> today. <laughs> that would be that would be two hours of dead air, just like they had on you know <laughs> KCP. Thank you. That's right. Hmm. Now, a couple of things about these titles here: a more perfect union, of course, is a line from the U.S. Constitution, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's something of a pun on the fact that we had a wedding going on. A union. Da, 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 thank you very right, much. Right. And QSO is a ham radio uh, code, a Q code, kind of like the CB Radio 10 codes. Like, hey, 10-4, good buddy. Well, uh, QSO is a specific one for starting a conversation, making initial contact with number, another operator. And so we had, of course, Samaritan making initial contact with all of its hardware all around the world, for crying out loud. I mean, ultimately, Root threw a little uh, extra you know, code in there in New York that Shaw picked up in, as we now understand, South Africa, for crying out loud. So, mm -hmm. yeah, every, it's talking to everybody there. And what about reassortment? You got any uh, ideas on that one? It's um, assorting things again. There. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I wasn't clear. <laughs> I mean, in terms of how it, that name, that title applied to what we saw on the episode. Well, they used it in the, uh, in the episode, and I believe... I, 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 it's in my notes, and I've, of course, once I wrote okay. it down, I then immediately forgot it. But we'll get to that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I missed that. So I had, <laughs> I, uh, 
I don't know how I missed that, but I, I did. I feel foolish now. But anyway, I did have a thought on that. So we'll we'll get to that when you bring it up, and I'll say, yeah, that's what I was thinking, or no, I, here's what I thought. So we have to go find that again. What, what, what did we say? <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, so it's a uh, it's in there, but it was a uh, uh, they used they actually used the term because they are trying to. Uh, I think uh, it had to do with the DNA uh, samples that they were getting and uh, learning how to uh, sort the people into you know who's uh, uh, immune to what and that sort of thing. So, mm. yeah, okay. I think we, uh, something like that. Well, we're going to get into things here in just a moment, but before we do, one very brief announcement for you. We are once again excited to have a Golden Spiral Media podcast as a finalist in the podcast awards. And, you know, several podcasts from our friends, like our, we have co-hosts like Doug, for example, who has podcasts of their own. And several of those guys are also up for podcast awards. Uh, the voting starts, it opens up on May 29th, and you can vote every day for 15 straight days. This is that part of the year where you get to vote every single day. Starting Sunday, like Chicago, May vote early and vote often, you know. That's right. That's right. So in the entertainment category... Our our podcast, TripleCast, is in there, so we are asking if you would, go over there to podcastawards.com and vote for TripleCast, again, starting May the 29th, and then 15 days following. Doug, is there anything else maybe we should be thinking about as we go over there and cast our votes? If you just happen to be uh, looking around there for something else to vote for, uh, in the news and politics section, there is Consider This. So, you know, make sure you get a little tick mark there as well. Why should we care about consider this? Um, if you like politics, and even if you don't, it's just 10 minutes or less. It's so easy to listen to. And it's usually sometimes, in my estimation, semi-sort of entertaining. You know, sometimes it's serious. But, you know, we try to throw a little lightheartedness in there. We don't try to scream at you. It's easier to, to uh, attract more flies with honey than it is with screaming, as the saying goes. <laughs> Or, yeah, or this to. is your podcast. This, I'm, I'm trying to get you to say that this is your yes. podcast that you host when you're not in the GSM chair. That's right. That, that that's my personal one. It's the uh, it's my little uh, outlet for uh, for that sort of uh, commentary. Yes, that's right. A couple of others you might want to consider in the people's choice category: the Hollywood Outsider. That's uh, our friend Aaron Peterson, who's the host of our Blacklist podcast. Uh, that's his own personal podcast, the Hollywood Outsider in People's Choice. Uh, so, as we said, the voting starts Sunday, May 29th, continues for 15 days, and we would genuinely appreciate your support. Well, Douglas, take us forward. Okay, so we had three episodes in this extravaganza. We had A More Perfect Union, mm -hmm. written by Melissa Scrivener-Love, and directed by Alric Riley. QSO was written by Hilary Benefiel and directed by Kate Woods. And finally, Reassortment was written by Tony Camer Camerino, excuse me, and directed by Kenneth Fink. What a Fink. I tell you. <laughs> Um, we have some ratings for you. Now, I said last week that I thought, you know, we'd had a kind of a pattern here where the Tuesday night, the normal, quote unquote, normal for, for this season, I guess, night, we were getting about 7 million plus. On Monday night, the, you know, the first of the two, and we're doing two a week, we were getting about five plus million. I said, my guess is we're going to do something similar to that this week with three episodes, and then the episode on uh, Tuesday at 9 Eastern was going to be even lower than the Monday stuff. Well, they made a liar out of me. Completely. Mm. Wasn't right. And even worse, 
the episode that was at the regular time had the lowest lowest number of viewers for crying out loud really it's, it's anyway. crazy yeah i wonder if people yeah. were like wait i've missed something i guess i'll have to catch up later yeah yeah or they saw it at nine and said oh that must be it i'll switch channels to something else yeah. uh, i don't know yeah. a more perfect unit all three of them had a 0.9 uh rating which is mm-hmm. pretty low for uh for a person of interest uh, a More Perfect Union on Monday had 5.49 million, QSO had 5.29, and then Reassortment at the usual time had 4.9, for crying out loud. So, yeah, th- we're going out with a whimper, not with a bang. Yeah. That's too bad. It really is. Yeah. And I did get some information I found out uh, this week. Uh, CBS CEO Les Moonves, or Moonves, or Moon something, um, the Hollywood Reporter uh, had quoted him as saying that... Uh, the international market is exploding, and he highlighted the increased importance of owning shows because of that, and then how much domestic uh, on-demand services spend on license deals, domestic on-demand like you know Netflix and Hulu, things like that. Mm-hmm. So all that means is that companies can make pretty tremendous amounts of money if they own the show. The value of the content is so much greater than it was before. Having ownership is huge. It makes a huge difference. Now, this isn't... Donald Trump. And it does affect everything we do. A show that's 100% owned will generally get a better time period. And so, as we know, as Warner Brothers owns uh, the actual series person of interest, whereas CBS is simply broadcasting it. So he mentioned that this also affected fall TV schedule choices. Uh, the CBS-owned TV show Elementary, which is very good, was renewed, but Warner's person of interest was canceled. Mm-hmm. Because, and here's the big deal, you gotta make money. Elementary made a profit of about $80 million last year, while the company, CBS, broke even on person of interest because Warner Brothers gets all the additional revenue. Yep. So it doesn't really help them all out at all to uh, renew it for another season. So the, uh, the economics is what killed it. And a, a lot of times that really is the, uh, the bottom line is the economics. It, it, well, yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, very rarely will a, a, a network lose money or even break even on a show for the sake of the show or for the sake of the audience. We do see that from time to time, but it's usually as a swan song, which is honestly what we're getting here. I doubt CBS is making any money on this season. Uh, if they are, they're not making much. So it's it's frustrating, but nothing we can do about it. Yeah, it's a bummer, but it's at least it's ending almost on its own terms. I think they said that the ending could, you know, have a little something at the end as a uh, potential uh, you know, tailing on into something uh, to a new season, but it does have a good uh, ending. So you didn't lose things just out in the middle of nowhere, like mm-hmm. uh, oh, you know, Firefly or things like that. That's that is the good thing. Well, let's talk about those episodes. We got three of them this week. Uh, the first one, I guess, we do want to start. Uh, I, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, not look, looking at the notes. Uh, we did have a couple <laughs> of uh, feedbacks that came in last week that we did want to mention. So this first one is from Scott. He says, hey, this is my first time writing in, and I'm wondering what the purpose of Season 5, Episode 4 was. And I was mulling it over in my head and had an idea that came to me. Maybe the reason for Season 4, or excuse me, for Episode 4, was to remind us of the virtual reality and payoff. Uh, The payoff will be in the season finale when it's revealed that all of Person of Interest from Season 1 to Season 5 was a virtual reality after they defeat Samaritan. <laughs> this would give us satisfaction of having them defeat Samaritan, but having enough string unraveled that they could reboot the show into a movie or another show. That's mm. a very interesting option. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for writing in, Scott. 
Yes, great to have a first timers here, and I think this next one uh, is a first timer as, w- as well. Uh, goes by the name of Sci-Fi Genre, and he or she said this message is a little late because of my busy work schedule. Yes, we understand. Just pointing out that something I noticed in episode sixty-seven forty-one, which marks the return of Shaw, mm-hmm. right after they decided to restart the simulation, they activated a small monitor which is in the corner of the screen, and the first image that appeared after the restart was. The eyeball scene where she opens her eyes, a la, you know, Jack on Lost. That is a great catch. And that's another one of those things that once you go back and rewatch it and you know what's coming up next and you see that on the monitor before. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. This, so that shows that this is, in fact, what they're feeding into what she's uh, seeing. That was really cool. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Thank you to both of those. Okay, we're going to kick in some ratings here. We have a whole bunch of people who wrote in with some great ratings and some great callbacks, frankly. I like these. For a more perfect union, Daryl, you gave it seven drugged horses. I gave it eight inebriated equestrians. So, very similar, you know, ideas there. Uh, Zachary Chong gave it ten fake wedding guests. I guess with guns, too. Uh, Henry Galarza, who is bad wobot, gave it nine future flight crashes. Now, Linda Beck said for the first 50 minutes, she gave it eight underdressed uncles. Okay, eight. The last ten minutes, which, you know, the overarching story really kicked in there, she gave it ten precocious Samaritans. Yes, of course, the Samaritan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel the same way. The The final couple of minutes there was, was much better than the rest of the episode. So. Yeah, and I, li- I like how, how she uh, splits that out. Maybe do that yeah. more often. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I kind of I had to step out there a minute. Thank you, Doug, for filling in for me and getting my rating in there. Uh, Scott Drone Silvers gave it 8.8 pounds of simulated Simtex. And Team Yellowbox gave it 7.5 out of 10 cowgirl roots. <laughs> Benjamin Jensen gave it 9 silver foxes, singing finches, and knife-wielding roots. Mm. Bill Bluiel gave it 9 and a quarter, formerly missing persons. <laughs> Not, now they're dead, but you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Daryl Washington gave it 10 hackers on horseback. I love that. That's good. Nice alliteration. And finally, Andrew Jeeves gave it eight and a half Finch's perfect Irish accent. Nice. That's right, me boy. You'd have a great time trying to impress yourself with as an Irish person. Thank you very much. Wow. Doug, are you going to break into song? <laughs> That's where I draw the line. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I, get, I, I can once, just announce a, it and force it upon you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I was in one play at college, and everybody was Irish, and so I had to come up with an Irish accent, and the uh, the play director was, you know, don't be, don't get it too thick, don't be, don't sound like an Irish spring commercial, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Do they even sell that anymore? I don't know. I don't know. I, I never see commercials for it, but it's probably out there in the stores. I don't really use soap. I I don't believe in it. So Oh, okay. Well, there you go. You know. <laughs> we have different strokes for different folks. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. For QSO, I rated it nine hacked printers. And I gave it nine broken promises. Mm-hmm. Team Yellowbox gave it eight rotating identities. <laughs> Zachary Chong gave it ten accurate fan theories. <laughs> Uh, Bad Wobot. Otherwise, Henry Galarza gave it 8.8 analog ballerinas. <laughs> We're getting a lot of, you know, subdivisions here. You we know, are. Down very, to the tenths. Yeah. Yes, indeedy. Linda Beck gave it nine extinct 
<laughs> thylacines. There we go. Yeah, she even posted a picture of one of those suckers in our Facebook group. I had no idea what it was until she posted it. So thank you, Linda. Uh, Andrew Jeeves gave it eight conspiracy theories. And Terry Curcello gave it nine 150-pound killing machines. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. And then for reassortment, I gave it eight prison escapes. And I gave it nine avian antiviri. <laughs> you just wanted to use the word antiviri. I know. I remember doing the Marburg uh, viri thing uh, last season. Uh-huh. Uh, Team Yellowbox gave it eight superbugs. Zachary Chong gave it ten viruses and the hat trick. Yeah. Three tens this week. Man, he loved it. You know, the thing is, usually when Zachary is high, I'm low. And although <laughs> the the equestrian episode I was a little bit low on with my seven, the others I, I quite enjoyed. And, and that one was good. It just wasn't great. So we were we were a lot closer with our ratings these with these three than we had been all season. So I think that's a good sign. Uh, yes. Linda Beck gave it eight house painters with a sense of morality. Mm-hmm. And Scott Drone Silvers gave it my first 10 this season. This really hit the, on all cylinders here. Yeah. Andrew Jeeves gave it 8.5 Shaw Escapes. And finally, Daryl Washington gave it 10 Joyrides. Yeah. So good ratings. I think that one might have been the highest overall rated. Yeah, I think so. So far, uh, of those three, and it's, yeah, that's it's saying a lot there. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I don't think it was last week, I think it was our podcast from two weeks ago, you had kind of put into our notes some ideas on some some overarching themes throughout those those two episodes that we got that week. And, you know, this week I don't think was nearly as subtle with, with the themes that you had picked up on, but I thought it was definitely something worth worth mentioning and putting kind of ahead of the game as, so as we, again, as we talk about these episodes this week. Kind of on the the forefront of everyone's mind, and that being the the theme and the idea of free will. I mean, the second episode specifically was very upfront with the theme of three of free will. But you know, even you know, all three of them really were, in particular, with the a more perfect union pod, uh, episode. Um, I thought it was, there were a few things. Root is is challenging Finch to let the machine have free will, which is quite interesting. I think we've really only thought about the humans having free will. We've talked about the machine being restricted, but for me anyway, it clicked for the first time that there's also this flip side of that where there there's an argument on whether or not to let the machine have free will and free reign to make decisions. And I think that's, that's quite interesting. Um, we also had Fusco's frustration with not mm. having free will of his own uh, uh, over his own fate. And he's getting so frustrated with it. So that overarching uh, desire and and just frustration is what leads him into the tunnel of death. And so, but it was his own free will and wanting to be able to have his own free will and not have his choices made for him. Uh, and then, of course, at the very end, Samara Kid is telling mm-hmm. Shaw that unless they turn over their trust, their free will to Samaritan then humanity is going to destroy the earth. And I think this is fascinating, too, because we get this idea of, is it better for humanity to have free will or not? Is it better to make these decisions for them and to eliminate those who don't fall into line or to allow humanity to have free will, even if it means they ultimately destroy themselves and the planet in the process? So those were just the kind of the things I saw 
in uh, a more perfect union that I thought kind of dealt with free will. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, and we've got a kind of a an artificial situation here where if we knew with perfect accuracy what the future would bring, and the computer is AI could make decisions that would make everything better for us. Would that be the thing to do? Now, of course, we don't have that. I honestly don't think that can be done, but it's a nice little uh, mind game. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to, you know, what, what would happen if that was the case? What would you do? And, yeah, I, I don't think that um, humans would be willing to do that. I don't think they'd be, you know, it's, there's just too much of uh, our own, you know, our own will pushing forward and, and wanting to do what we want to do. And the idea of, of freedom that um, – and well, the other thing, too, is whenever – and this could happen with a computer, you know, an AI, or it's it's happened – history is littered with examples of, of humans doing it in the past where, trust me, let me run the show and we'll all be better off for it. Mm-hmm. And and as Lord Acton said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power tends to – or it will corrupt absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So – You've got, um, you wind up with a great idea, you know, seems good in theory. It was a good idea at the time. But then, you know, as uh, human nature takes over, then this, uh, then the whole idea breaks down. Now the question is, does Samaritan have a quote unquote human nature? It has uh, programmed into it human ethics. Um, do, you know, the, the two machines have different uh, sets of them, but, you know, do they have the same issue with power? Maybe, maybe not. How much of a personality do they have? And so some of those questions are even unanswerable, even in, even in the person of interest universe. But, uh, but I like the, uh, the idea that you got to think about that. What would you do? What would you decide? And I think, too, you know, just in general in the um, – and I, 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 like I said, I have a political podcast. That's what I, I really get into that. And, you know, some of my questions are, is this idea by this politician something that – Sounds good now, but could lead to, you know, other problems in the future. It's a good idea while we're thinking about it, but is it too much power or is it, you know, in the wrong hands? That sort of thing. So it, it's, it's, there's, there's implications for that, uh, a lot of places. Yeah. I mean, we had the Patriot Act mentioned in this yes. third episode. And, you know, that was real. I, I don't know if either one of us made a note on it, but I certainly made a mental note of it because that's an example of where something sounded good at the time, but mm-hmm. then s- lots of people took that power that was given to them and then did it for, used it for terrible things among the, you know, to, to do, get information and do things that were way over the line of what the intent was. And we saw that at the end of that episode, you know, with Samaritan doing that. So, we'll, well, of course, we'll get to that. But um, Yeah, the Patriot Act, you know, it's one of those, you know, catch-all things. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, just, you know, there's there's the reasoning for it, and uh, you can't question it because it's – or national security. Right. Well, you know, right. again, giving – the more power you give to government, the less you have and the uh, the less freedom you have. Do you want less freedom for more security? And what does that mean when it happens? So, yeah. That's right. And – it's such a good it's a, it's such a good it's it's one of the most fundamental questions of 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 all of humanity and of all of history this idea of free will particularly in a conversation about deities and god and regardless of which god you if you even acknowledge there is a god uh, which one you adhere to the the question is still there and for a lot of people it's a 
the stumbling block, I guess, for for lack of a better way, that they just can't they can't reconcile. If there is a God, why would He allow, you know, all these terrible things to happen? And then someone would argue back and say, well, because if that God is, you know, a just God, a a right God, a good God, then He would allow free will because to have that taken from us makes us slaves. It makes us uh, puppets, you know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't give us what makes us humans. But that argument coming back is not satisfactory for a lot of people. And so this idea of free will versus the power of a deity is, is incredibly complex. And, and is like I said, one of the most fundamental foundational arguments of history. And this, this shows just digging right into it. They're, they're, neck deep into these these types of situations and then you have multiple deities if you will trying to assert their own ideas of what free will is or what 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 levels of freedom should be given and one of those as we said is a deity who himself she herself doesn't quite have free will so it's just a very interesting um <laughs> scenario f- for me i mean it's particularly the second episode max by you know the machine says hey he used his own free will to to decide what he did. and it, it we did what his, we could yeah and it was up to him and i and, and on the third on the third episode a couple of little points here uh and this is i think is really really for me it was just like mind blowing i'm in the shower yesterday uh, or this morning rather thinking about all this stuff you know all the best shot thoughts come in the shower you know and i'm just like oh my gosh this is so compelling like shaw was able to to escape from Samaritanville if she did. We'll talk about whether or not that was VR or not, you know. But let's assume that she did, right? How was she able to do that? Well, because the Samaritan was not able to predict what she would do. Why is that? Because she is a human with free thoughts and free will and free actions to do those things, and so she was able to escape the lion's den, as it were, because of free will. And then we already kind of alluded to it there at the end where. Samaritan is trying to eliminate certain people from the population by giving them a false sense of free will, like the Patriot Act. Hey, come over here and give us this information. This will be good for you. We're going to test you, and we're actually robbing you of some of your freedoms. And so this is going to be a lot of fun as we talk through these three episodes today. <laughs> yeah, that is that is great. A lot of philosophy, of course. And, yeah. uh, uh, of course, person of interest, the writers have been, uh, as I think we've said before, asking for that. Uh, that parallel to be drawn by referring to these two AIs right. as gods. That's so there right. you go. That's right. Exactly right. Okay. So where shall we start with a more perfect union? Well, I like the Shaw story in that. I, I, I thought in general that the numbers, uh, you know, the number story was kind of a typical person of interest procedural. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episodic nature of it from the first and second seasons, not so much. Uh, inf- things that would happen, information about uh, the overarching story here. Uh, great, some great uh, moments in there, but I think uh, that this was mostly a uh, from from and, and in this in this season, I I I'm thinking you really can't spend too much time on the procedural. You can do that as long as and it, we did in the uh, other two episodes. I thought as long as they contribute in some manner to the moving moving along of the story. This one didn't seem that way, so it really didn't, that's why I rated it a little lower. It didn't really... It was a good episode, and it would have been a great episode in, in season one and two, 
But right now, uh, we need to do a little more with the uh, the moving the story along. I agree 100%. That's why I rated it a 7. You know, the procedural part of it was just that. It was interesting. It was fine. I didn't dislike it. But we need we need them to tie in more, just exactly like QSR did, or QS, QSO. Element OP. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and regurgitation. Those, you know, like those tied in nicely. <laughs> If I'm going to get one wrong, I might as well get them both wrong. <laughs> well, so Shaw has apparently been under the uh, under the VR, um, I don't know, another thousand times or so, or maybe 300. What was the number? 6741. 67, so it's 7,053. So about yeah. 300 more times. Yeah. And and I'm wondering, they, they spoke as if she was aware that these were simulations now. And she spoke, you know, uh, I guess this this in the... Uh, in another episode, that that uh, that she's thinking, oh yeah, another sim. So it really loses. I would have thought the the whole impact. Maybe maybe they took another tact. Now you know, now that she realizes there was a simulation, they said, okay, well now let's disconnect her from reality, so she doesn't know which is which. And sure enough, you know, as we're going through this, she's uh, she's getting the an education about Samaritan from the Samaritan people, of course. They're a little biased, you know, <laughs> but they, yeah, they got a little uh, agenda there, yeah. But I thought that was interesting that she's got to the point where it's like, yeah, I, I guess she remembers all the other Sims. That would even reduce the impact even more, I would think. Yeah, I'm totally with you, and I thought that I, I get where Samaritan or Greer is coming from in wanting to rock her world where she can't tell the difference between reality and VR. I think that probably, you know, you get into 5,000 or 7,000 or 6,000, you know, iterations and it's like, we got to try something different here. I mean, you do reach that point. And so I can see why he would think maybe our best option is to, is to help her or not to help her make her not be able to see the line between reality and simulation. But what I, where I thought it was weird was he was like, we're going to take you on a journey and you're going to see that maybe the machine are the villains. I thought that was like playing his hand a little bit too much. And then they kind of go on this, a Christmas Carol story, like observe these people, (laughs) observe these people. Let me tell you their story. And I was like, wow, is this going to turn into Scrooge at the end? Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's the ghost of ASI past. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it doesn't work for him, but I guess he's just trying all, all options. I don't know. I thought it was a bit weird too, though. And Shaw didn't seem to be buying it, especially, you know, right. for example, the guys who were selling, and one guy's selling the other uh, bad airplane parts, and they're going to, you know, a little white collar uh, graft behind the scenes there. They're all going to make money and bonuses, and 2,100 people could potentially be killed. Uh, and those, and that really is calling back to some other, you know, mind uh, experiments, thought experiments about, you know, if you, uh, if there's a train going to uh, hit a child, and but there were, you know, Somebody you could push in front to save the kid, or you know things like that. They, that's been around for for a long time, and this is oh, yeah. basically taking it to another level. Yeah, it's the whole "Would you kill Hitler as a baby?" or and it's the whole uh, Minority Report thing. Would you, you know, would yes. you, you, if you have the ability to predict a crime that has not yet committed, go ahead and get that perpetrator off the street so that you are saving lives. Like I said, it's been done in a number of different ways. It's always interesting, and it's it's a it's a moral dilemma. You know, what do you do? Do you arrest somebody who hasn't yet committed a crime? Although these guys, I guess, technically had 
committed some sort of at least a moral crime, whether or not it was a legal crime or not. This is a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I I really enjoyed the appearance of uh, Samara Kid at the end there, at the end of her story, because it was um, well. I like that character. It's a great character, and the kid plays it so well. The the appropriate creepiness, and he's very articulate. You know, he doesn't sound his age, so to speak. Right. It's really good. He really pulls that off. And I've heard, you know, bad attempts at children trying to sound like they're adults. And but this was this is just amazing. This this uh, kid's a great actor. And but you know, so then you know he blows up the Russian consulate. As uh, as an example, uh, that you know, this is this is what's going to happen if we are not involved in your life. And then he, I guess, he hits the button again, or maybe not. But then you know, all of New York starts to blow up, and it's like, okay, I don't remember that. This must be a simulation. And uh, trying to, I guess, shock Shaw into, you know, trying to come to their side, saying, "You can save this." If you'll just bow down and worship me. Oh, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. There you go. You know, yeah. all this can be saved if you will just do what I say. Ugh, you know, so that's a, uh, that's, again, that's the creepy factor and they're doing a great job with it. Well, but that's the, and the thing is like, what he is showing her, I, you know, it is a possible reality, but that's all that it is, is a possible reality. And, and, of course, Samaritan's going to make it and, and display it to her as if it is the ultimate or the only reality if she doesn't comply and if all of humanity doesn't comply, right? But she's smart enough to not go along. Did, were you aware the whole time that this was, when as they're looking at people and, and going through the Christmas story, you know, story of uh, visiting people, uh, did you think this was a simulation or did you think it was real i was i was kind of on the fence uh early on and it when when she met samaritan i thought especially then that's really uh that must that must be the uh the reality but when he starts blowing things up then it's yep. like oh okay then it's but no really I, I was i was on the fence and i could see how she could have um you know gone either way with that but to, to believe it was uh to believe it was real but um but yeah, that's that's ultimately when it's obvious that it's a um, a simulation, then you know my eyes were finally opened. Yeah, I mean, I put a note in here like, how could Samid not know it wasn't real? So for me, like from the opening moment when Greer started doing his thing, I felt like it was a simulation, and I, I you know, but I can see why you and many others weren't sure. I mean, because it was definitely done in a way where you could maybe think it was and maybe think it wasn't. Like you know he. He brought in this the the sandwich. the The sandwich was a nice callback because we had Finch ordering that last season. Yes. I think it was a very hot, you know, spicy yeah. sandwich with no mayonnaise or whatever that was. Yeah, because yeah. he knew she was going to be mad at him. He was trying to give her a peace offering. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely a assimilation, and which made for the next episode to be more, even more interesting because it, it's getting hard for us now to know like mm -hmm. they're blurring the line for us now is this reality or is this a simulation and i think we have to look at clues like she touched the back of her neck at one point to try to figure out that maybe that was her her constant if you will that would be the thing that would <laughs> anchor her to reality there's our um, lost reference for the week that's right 
And I think we have to do the same. We have to look at clues to figure out, you know, as I said earlier, when we were just kind of getting warmed up, we don't know if she escaped or not. That could have all been a virtual reality session. So <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to that part. But that's kind of the situation all of us are in. We're trying to figure it out, which is cool. Yes, it is. It, when you, if you can keep the audience guessing as well as the characters, you're, you're doing good. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the number uh, of the week was interesting. Well, I can't say of the week because there's so much stuff going on this week. But of the episode, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we had a uh, you know a, a um, family that owns uh, lots of horses, and they're making lots of money with them, and they're doping some if they're a little uh, off so they can still run. And um, it was a very interesting whodunit. Uh, like I said, a, a good season one or two episode. And I had figured out some of it as we went along that, that, that you know, uh, the one girl throwing herself at uh, the groom was kind of a setup. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, you know, and it was a little stereotypical. The rich family didn't want her uh, going for and marrying a public defender. Oh, that's, you know, much lower than our station in life. Uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a trope that, uh, that I guess is his well for me has been used way too much. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really thrilled with that one. But uh, but yeah, to get the when it ultimately turns out that it's the photographer who is the kind of the linchpin in all of this. I, I thought that was a pretty good little uh, uh, fake out. It faked me out. That's, that's for sure. But which isn't hard to do. But I still liked it. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't see it coming with the photographer either. I mean, there were some tells there. You know, it's a nice game of Clue. Which again, we we really enjoyed these games of clue in seasons past with this abbreviated final season. I think we're looking for a more cohesive ABC storyline that all pushes us towards the finale. This where this being the a part of the storyline really didn't propel us towards the, the the main core stuff. But anyway, um, no, I didn't really see the photographer coming until it was, until it was revealed. So that was, that was nice. Um, I tried to work in some puns with the the groom's name being Will, and we're talking about free will so much, but ah. I couldn't really. I was all too forced. That's so. Just bringing it up is as close as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> there were some great moments here. Um, definitely Finch kicking in an Irish brogue, and then getting pushed behind the microphone to sing "Twisted Sisters." We're not going to take. I didn't recognize. I don't. I've heard the song, but I couldn't tell you what the words are to the verses. But when he gets to the chorus, it's like, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, that song is, I think, well, that song's, well, it's more from my childhood than 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 yours. They did Leader of the Pack, too, which is one that was, I think, more from your childhood that was also in mine. Because they, you know, they redid that song, Twisted Sister did. But we're not going to take it, man. Yeah, as soon as he broke into it, I'm like, is he doing Twisted Sister? <laughs> It was so. It was it was the best part of the episode. I mean, because it's Finch, you know, he's always Mister Suit and Tie, and Twisted Sister. I mean, was just the opposite of that. That their flamboyant makeup and hair and, and and hair and their outfits and their music. I mean, it was just that was that was what they were railing against was this the, the parental supervision you know society norms all this you know order you know <laughs> anarchy and you know teenage angst and so that was great 
And then the way he sang it, because it didn't go along with the, like the regular melody <laughs> at all. And then having the Irish accent to top it all off. It was awesome. <laughs> I loved it so much. <laughs> and that's going to be the number one song on iTunes next week. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Harold Finch covers Twisted Sister. Speaking of music, near the end, well, for, well first of all, before we get to that, uh-huh. Root, you know, kind of says today, rides in the hacker on the horseback, mm-hmm. as Errol Washington said, rides in, and she takes out the ankles. She did. Yes. That's the second just time like, this season. Yes. Just like when she came out upside down and behind the car there and is yeah. like, okay, so that's, that's the signature here. Reese kneecaps. She, what, ankles or whatever the thing's called. I don't know. What's your ankle bone called? I know, right? It doesn't roll off the tongue nearly as well. Not nearly, no. <laughs> but the, as far as music went, at the end when they're doing a dance, mm-hmm. the closed captioning, what was that closed captioning on? Uh, in our house. My wife likes it. I, I think it's a little annoying. But then when I'm watching Person of Interest, it is helpful to kind of see, you know, what people are saying because sometimes you miss that or background noise that they actually, you know, throw in there. Right. And then they t- it talked about uh, the closed captioning said that the singer for Love is the Thing, it says Bennett. So I'm assuming Tony Bennett is what mm-hmm. they're coming at. But I, I tell you, and if you listen to it again, let me know if that's what you all think. But it sounded like Nat King Cole to me. Um, and these are both guys before my time, just so we're clear. All right. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to make it sound like you were like an old fart when I was describing <laughs> the differences in our music a minute ago. You know, just I saw your before. note as I was rewatching today and I mean, it, to me, it sounded like Tony Bennett, but then when I saw that you said it sounded like Nat King Cole, I was like, I can totally hear that too. I can hear both of their voices in this. So hmm. I don't, I didn't do a Shazam or anything like that to figure it out. We have, uh, we had a particular record that we played all the time during Christmas. Um, it was, uh, Nat King Cole's, uh, the Christmas song album. Oh, yeah. Nuts roasting and then open the fire. There it is, folks. All we needed is an Irish accent and we will have <laughs> done it. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it just sounded like him, unforgettable. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that's my little musical note of the uh, <laughs> musical note. Get it? <laughs> Sorry. But there was one scene at the very end, mm-hmm. as they're all you know everybody's dancing, and our team's all sitting around with their one table, and they're just kind of, you know, there, mm-hmm. and it goes kind of calls back to Reese's issue uh, with Iris. He can't have a normal life. She realizes that. And so he's kind of alone in all of this. Well, this kind of telegraphs the fact they all are. You know, this is not something that you can have a normal life with regardless of the part you're playing. So, yeah, that was that was kind of a sad little uh, ending there. And it really drove the point home. Yeah, it really did. And But again, we also had the argument of Root trying to make the case to give the machine free will. And Mm -hmm. Finch is just worried about the consequences of that. And I can't put myself into the mind of God. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a feeble human. It's impossible for me. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. But I have to think that where I wonder, I guess, what was his process when he decided to create humans and give us free will? I mean, because he would know that, Giving us free will would cause us to hurt each other. It would cause us to experience incredible pain. It would cause us to 
cause incredible destruction and wreak havoc upon the earth and go to war and all these bad things. And yet he chose, he said, that's the better option. And I, and I love that. I love that that's what our team is struggling with here is, is what do we do? Do we, do we risk or do we contain? You know, do we want to control or do we want to let it go and see what it will do of its own, if it's its own free will? So it's, mm. it's really fascinating to me. And Roots, I think her motivation is that she is concerned for the machine. If you want to say she loves it, that's, you know, on one level, perhaps. Um, she seems to have a, a, a relationship very similar to that uh, with, with the machine. And uh, with your example of God, well, you know, if he wanted a bunch of wind-up dolls, you know, that's fine. But he wanted someone that would love him and he could love back. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's actually... If, if you want to talk theology, it's actually the other way around. He loves first, but anyway, we can go. We can we can deal with that later. But but there is no love if there's no free will. If there's no free will, there's no. There's, it's impossible to love something if you have to do something. If you have no other choice but to do something, then it's not really not really that. So yeah, I, I see kind of a parallel there too uh, with Root as uh, one trying to trying to give the machine uh, something that she that she desires for it because she wants the best for it. And remember, way back in the day, when Root was the adversary, mm. what was her primary objective? To free the to machine. Free the machine. Yeah. You know? So it's that's still her. That's still what she's pulling for. Just to get a different way of doing it, which is nice. Right. Right. She understands it more now, but I think she also understands it more now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, the Fusco storyline was another good one for moving the uh, the myth arc forward. Yeah. And he is out there investigating these missing persons, including Krupa's, uh, on the down low, not letting anybody else know what's going on. He's got his own little cork board. You know, I, I looked at that. It was kind of like Finch's glass with taping up the number of the week. Yeah. And so exactly. there's there's a... Uh, there's Fusco with his corkboard, you know, pinning up the uh, the quote unquote numbers that he's trying to figure out what's going on, and it got. I I, I do want to say that I, I'm trying to remember how I said it before in one of the previous episodes. It kind of just hit me that maybe since the machine detects behavior that will lead to a murder, if these people go missing and they're murdered then the, it's not on the machine's radar. And mm-hmm. so that may be how, what Samaritan's doing. We had kind of a confirmation of that this week. That's exactly what's happening. Uh, and a lot of people uh, uh, took a hit this week. Wow. Nobody on the list yet. Nobody on the uh, live another day list. Right. Uh, we, did have a lot of, uh, we did have a lot of dead bodies this time around. Man, and I was shocked to see Bruce Yes, as one of those laying there. I just could not believe it. Um I thought we'd get more of him this season. I, I wasn't surprised that he died. I don't know that I really had put much thought to what his long-term, whether he would survive the series or not, but I was surprised that he he died just like that. We didn't see how he died. We just saw him dead, and that was really surprising to me. Yeah, and and I saw I, I understood it. I mean, I, I, like, you, like you said, I thought it was a little early. But uh, as we see later on, it becomes the impetus for Elias to kind of tentatively put his toe in the water and kind of move things uh, along because of 
this was his motivation because of the death of, uh, of Bruce. So I, I think it made sense. Bruce was a short-term uh, character designed to kick our long-term character in the pants and, and get him moving. Yep. And I like the way they did that. Yep, absolutely. You're, you're right about that. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. He, you know, that, that we're kind of going back into classic uh, New York corruption, mob families. Nobody, no truck goes in and out of the five boroughs unless, you know, so-and-so over here knows what's going on. What was it now? Fusco actually tracks down uh, Howard Carpenter, who is uh, one of the guys who's at, he's at, in tunnel construction and demolition. Root gave him his number, and he tracks him down, records the conversation between Howard and uh, Bruce. And I was, I was kind of impressed with the fact that um, that Fusco kind of knows his audio. <laughs> he got the recording, and he couldn't quite hear what they're saying, trying to get the uh, t- the permit number. And he bumps up the little slider that says more voice, and bumps down the slider that says background noise. I haven't seen that that software before that would be cool i haven't seen that either that was pretty magical i mean wow i mean uh, that would just make my life so much easier yes. uh, now granted there are some fantastic tools that i that i work with that are quite good at removing background noises and stuff like that but not like that that was definitely one of those tv uh you know hand wavy thing hey let's make the software make it it's like when they have this super pixelated picture and then they make it look like it was <laughs> Taking it like by a professional at the end. I was like, that can't happen. It works nice on TV. I've seen that work once. I mean, I've seen them do something like that correctly once. Uh, Do you remember the, um, oh, what was the TV show that people all of a sudden for 42 seconds saw a vision of the future? Um, A flash Flash, forward. Yeah, flash forward. Yes. And and there was one thing where there's this guy. He was still awake when the whole world was asleep, and they they saw him in a uh, a security cam at a a, uh, ballpark somewhere. And so I want to get a little more definition out. Well, I'll take a couple of days. Yeah, not just press the button. There it is. And even then, when they got that, it was a little more. You know, uh, uh, defined, but not so you could see a face. So you could tell he was wearing a certain kind of ring. It was glinting, you know. So, I mean, that was the, that's the one time I've ever seen something like that work. But every other time it's like, there you go. Yeah. Magic. Yeah. We can yeah. take, you know, 640 by 480 and turn it into high def, you know, 1080p. <laughs> Billboard size or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people see this stuff on TV and they're like, well, I, you can clean that up, right? I see it on TV now. <laughs> I've actually never heard that, but oh, you makes you wonder though for sure. Yeah, and poor uh, Fusco. You know, all this uh, investigation leads him to the tunnel just at the moment that they are going to demolish it, and he sees Bruce. He sees uh, Carpenter. He sees Krupa. Yeah. Um. Poor girl never got any lines. No. And uh, but he he. I was wondering what was going to happen to him. I, oh, is this going to be the death of Fusco? But that's too early. Way too early. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because we 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 see Fusco with the tunnel falling in on him, which would have made for a pretty good cliffhanger. Except we just had to wait till the very next episode, and then our cliffhanger was done. So there was no cliffhanger to be had. We got Not much the, hanging going on. No, yeah, we got the answer pretty much immediately. Not quite, but close. You know, when I was rewatching it, I was thinking. Well, what happened to Bear? How did Bear get out of that? And then on my rewatch, I saw that 
when when Fusco realized it, you know, he he and Bear realized it about the same time. Bear being faster, more agile, was able to get out of there, and Fusco okay, yeah. was not. So yeah, poor Bear, he did not heal at that point. He was like, every man for himself, Fusco. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to be faster than you. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we've uh, ripped that to shreds. Uh, maybe so. Maybe we've kicked that horse, beaten that dead horse, <laughs> drug, oh my drug the horse. What? Did something to the horse. Destroyed the dead equine. Yes, indeed. <laughs> That's right. Well, let's get on our radio voices, Doug, and move on yeah. to QSO. <laughs> Welcome to welcome to Top 40 Station here. Thank you very much. Let's oh do the entire God. discussion on this episode like this and see what kind of hate mail we get next week. <laughs> and people stop listening after an hour. Yes, indeed. Maybe not even that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, Fusco we get in the in the hospital, which is nice. You know, and, and they uh, dovetail very nicely with the end of his story in the in the previous episode where he's leaving a message for Finch. Look, buddy, you got to tell me what's going on here. Something's happening, whatever. And then, that you know, the very beginning of this episode, basically the same message to uh, Reese. Look, you guys don't want to give me the information. You say you're helping me. You say you're keeping me safe. Look, you know, am I safe? You know, I just been, you know, dropped. I had a tunnel dropped on me. So, no, I, never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm done with you guys. I don't want your passports and your IDs. Yeah, the, the, the frustrating thing is that their refusal to bring him in, share information with him, allow him to make his own decisions is just pushing him away from them, as we see ultimately, and pushing him further into danger without having the knowledge of what he's getting into. Like I said last week, he's walking into the lion's den, and he has no idea. I mean, he's lucky to get out alive. And he's here's the other thing, though, Doug. Over and over and over. I think maybe every episode this week, if not at least two of them, and before even, you know, where he was, they were like, don't say anything about Elias's death. You know, keep it down. You know, now he's there. He's getting like, you don't know what you're getting into. You know, Elias told him at one point, proceed with extreme caution. He's getting warned, really stern warnings over and over and over again. And he's continuing to push forward because he doesn't know anything. He knows people are keeping him in the dark. He's a detective. He has this insatiable desire to keep pushing and finding the truth. And, you know, he's been warned so many times over and over and over again that I wonder if maybe he is going to die this season. It's going to be their fault because even though they tried to warn him, they didn't really give him the information he needed to understand the warning. And he took his own free will and went off on his own. That's right. Yep. So, you know, as in this, uh, and maybe that's what they're trying to telegraph with uh, Max Green. That, you know, the machine did what it could. Max was saved by the team from the the issues, the threat that was imminent. Mm Mm-hmm. But when left on his own, okay, there you go. You're off on your own. I mean, really, if you think about it, sometime all those other numbers are going to die too. Some of them may die from an accident. Some of them may get killed. The machine isn't necessarily going to keep them propped up for as long as they live. Once we get past the initial issue, then you're you're on your own again. And Max immediately jumps into the fray without knowing what he's jumping into. So the question is, is this to be a parallel with Fusco that 
you know, the machine has been kind of had his had his back for a while here. But the question now is Fusco's uh, is his free will and his detective instincts. Are they going to um, get him in trouble and get him killed? And that's that's my prediction, at least. I think uh, Fusco will have his his character arc will have been a great character arc. And uh, he's come he's come from dirty cop to uh, kind of reformed to kind of comic relief to serious, you know, uh, and he's had his serious points. Uh, in the past, certainly, but I think this uh, this season especially is really getting down to uh, his detective's instincts and his drive to uh, find out what's going on. And and if Steam Machine's going to get in his way, it's like forget you. We're yeah, done. absolutely. It's going to be a real tragedy if he ends up dying, and Harold mm-hmm. and and Reese don't. And I'm not saying they all have to die in order to validate his death. I, I don't want him to die. He'll be a you know, a victim, uh, and more so than they will, because, like I said, he's put himself in harm's way without really being un- told the information he needs to understand the level of danger that he's in. Well, uh, Root had certainly a, a. She was very busy this yeah. episode, wasn't yeah. she? Man, alive! Cool. Now, who knew that Root, in some past life somewhere, was a ballerina that you know. Russian men would just give her flowers and f- and ask her to you know marry them. <laughs> wow, I, you know, just where did that come from? Yeah, that was I was surprised by that too. I mean, I could see her pulling off a ballerina, but it sounds like she went out there and performed it. And uh, so, kudos for her. It, you know, it's it was nice. Obviously, we didn't see Amy Acker performing it, but the it certainly is not at all implausible that Root, in her many backgrounds and mysterious wanderings off you know would have some ballerina lessons or maybe as a child or who knows but they've definitely given her enough breadth of character that she could they could pull that in and we would all go okay yeah i could buy that (laughs) and then churning butter at the uh i guess it was a (laughs) uh a historic house of some sort of some sort i didn't ever catch the name if they gave it but no i don't think so they just talked about tourist house the the ghost hunter guys yeah. Uh, but that was, you know, I, I had seen a picture, you know, kind of a promo picture earlier with it, her, just her face with that hat on. And yeah, it was like, I did too. oh, for crying out loud, what is that going to be? I said, I thought to him, like, what is going on here? Yeah. It's like somebody from Colonial Williamsburg, you know, turning the butter and being in character and all that. Yep. It's exactly right. If you ever get a chance to go, try that. Colonial Williamsburg, really cool. Is the butter really good? I have no idea. But the uh, you know the tourist uh, uh, touristy things are pretty cool, and, and it's just it's a great little uh, walking around inside of um, inside of history. Hmm. So anyway, a little bit of an aside there. And Vasily, are we going to see Vasily again? It really sounded like we were going to, and I expected to see him in the next episode. But yeah, no question, we're going to see him again. I had some issues with my TV freezing again this in this episode, and um, so I missed the very end of the episode. Where she's at her computer and she's doing a little searching. So well, she's going, yeah, she's going to find out the uh, national park that I believe his father runs. Uh-huh. And so she was, they were setting up a date for that. So I guess it was a national park in Russia or somewhere uh, in Lithuania. Europe, I, wasn't sure. I believe it was Lithuania, and Lithuania? which is okay. former Soviet Union. Yeah, no, I did a little research on that. Let me scroll down and and pull that. Yeah, it was Lithuania. So she has pulled up on her 
screen Divina Missile Silo. And uh-huh. that is part of the, I'm going to butcher these names, the Plokstein Missile Base in Lithuania, which is former Soviet Union. And I think it's a museum, like a Cold War museum or something like that now. Oh, okay. But at the time, it housed, and I'm sure there are still some there, although they're probably inert, but I'm sure the show will magically make one not. I'm, I'm speculating, of course. But at the time, it housed R-12 Divina Ballistic Medium Range Missiles. And that wow. missile was what she had pulled up on her computer screen. So no doubt in my mind that she's, you know, the machine made their paths cross because of his dad's connection to the park, which has the missiles, which she's going to need to get her hands on. So my thought was, oh, she's going to send those missiles off and blow up Samaritanville that's in Johannesburg. Well, Johannesburg is like 5,700 miles away based on my Google map ruler measurement, (laughs) which I'm sure is precise. And those medium range missiles, the R-12s have a range of 1,600 miles. So quite a, Quite a difference, like three yeah, three times the distance. Yeah, so I don't know what they're going to use those for, but um, that's going to be interesting. I mean, it looks like she's going there to get her hands on some big time, not the rocket we saw last season. We're talking ballistic missiles here, so this will be interesting. And Samaritanville uh, looks like it's underneath a um, a prison, so yeah. that would be kind of uh, uh, taking out some of the innocence, innocent, so to speak, uh, of the particular issue that she's uh she would be uh shooting it for mm-hmm. uh so uh, that's a that's a wild card that's a little something in the back pocket that we'll we'll definitely see later on wow. yeah that was that was a nice little episode i seen part of the episode there at the very end like i said i missed it the first time because my tv signal went glitchy but it was uh really cool when i saw that today on the rewatch well root comes out of that and manages to buy the shirt off some lady's back <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wonder, did like the lady get the colonial dress that she was wearing, or did she just go to the nearest <laughs> gift shop and buy a t-shirt? What what happened there? Oh man, yeah. Well, that, it cut to commercial, so you know, because it's a you know it's the family hours, nine o'clock at the- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But uh, but she uses that to get into WKCP AM five twenty, as you know, for as a producer for the the and, and this guy's. Max Green's show reminded me of Art Bell back in the day. Uh, he had an overnight uh, a show about those kind of things, the paranormal, mm-hmm. the UFOs, the government um, control and whatever. But I, I looked it up just for grins. I wanted to see if um, WKCP uh, was, was an active. I would think they would have picked you know something. It's inactive. But sure enough, it used to be an actual uh, station down in uh, Miami, Florida. It was a classical music station. Oh, wow. Uh, change, yeah, it changed to WMLF, a, a contemporary Christian station. So there you go. But so, yeah, that's that, that, man, that was just recently, like within the past year, uh, that uh, those call signs were retired. So there you go. A little mm-hmm. bit of trivia for you. I liked what the explanation was for uh, the previous producer's uh, exit was. Um, heck, something says something about a bank error in Susan's favor. It's like, wait a minute. If you've played Monopoly, yep. that just. Sets off bells. Wait a minute. That's a, you know, one of the chance cards or something. <laughs> it is. Bank yeah. error in your favor. Collect 20 bucks. You know, I don't think she left for 20 bucks, though. I Probably a little more. Probably a little more. I'm thinking Samaritan had something to do with that and gets her out of the picture. 
Makes an opening. I, no, and that's well, no, no, not the smart. The machine. Sorry. Yes, yeah, the machine. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which gives the opening for get to your show up. get your you know AIs uh, you know straight here, buddy. I do that way too often. <laughs> I'm always saying Samaritan when I mean the machine. I know. And and Max, you know, is among those who have noticed that the world's gotten pretty weird lately. Mm-hmm. You know, Elias knows that. Fusco knows that. They are even closer to it, but Max certainly does. Uh, and of course, that's his. Is stock and trade is understanding the weird stuff that's going on and hearing the interference in um, in static that would normally be you know well, well it's 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 just my cell phone I remember hearing that all over the place I was trying to figure out back in the day old cell phone and I was listening to the radio and it's going and I was thinking what is that and then you know I thought maybe there was something wrong with the radio well then I heard it on the radio at my house and I'm going. What is going on? And finally, I asked somebody, you know what this is? Oh, it's your cell phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, not nearly as interesting as, uh, you know, aliens trying to talk to me. <laughs> I do like the idea that there's a code that's hidden in that. Because I've heard that, too. You know, you just you did your impersonation of it was actually quite good. And you hear that, and it's just... It's like the old days when you would use a dial-up modem to connect to the Internet. And there was those oh, beeps my. and boops that were exchanging data back and forth that's what it is it's just the sound of data going back and forth and but so i really liked the idea that there was actually a a hidden code within that it wasn't morse code it wasn't anything else but it could be figured out with some persistence and so that was really cool i'm glad they didn't go with morse that would that, that makes perfect sense and it also makes you know not necessarily accessible to everybody that was a that was a good uh, way that was written yeah yeah, as we know, we've talked about it a few times. They've used Morse code a couple of times on the show, so they needed to go a different route and not just always go to the old standby there. Particularly if you really, want it to be a hidden code and not one that's easily cracked, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, real, and even still, how many people really know, you know, Morse code outside of SOS, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. But enough people do with, with, with the military and stuff that yes. it would still not be a secure line, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> is this line secure? Sorry, another lost reference. <laughs> yes, line secure. Go ahead. Yes. Thank you. Warren Franco. This guy, I, I liked when Reese shows up at his apartment not finding him, and still he's talking on the phone to uh, to Max about the Chinese satellite mind control waves. Oh, man, it was like the perfect, you know, Art Bell stuff. Not that I listened to him a whole lot, you know, but it was just- <laughs> No, little, of course you know, not. No, no, not me. <laughs> <laughs> coast to coast. Uh, anyway, um, where was I? Oh yes, okay. So we're finding <laughs> Max, and I'm not sorry, we're finding Warren. Warren. Yeah, and um, I, it, it turns out I, I guess it is Samaritan that took him out, but it was just using using him to um, what was he using him for exactly? I was trying to remember that now. The point of uh, Warren's uh, dying. It was it just so that he was taking out him because he was getting too close. And maybe that's it. It was just getting too close to cracking the code. And so he, so Samaritan just kind of gave a cover story that um, Max, or I'm sorry, Warren, uh, I keep getting those mixed up too. <laughs> Warren was trying to, was going to kill himself just because, you know, it was, all, it was the Chinese mind control things. They're just killing him here, man. Yep. The, the tinfoil is not working. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, Green had uh, shared the code with him, and they were getting too close to cracking it. And so the machine, 
I said the machine. See, I did it. Samaritan had to take him out. I love this too that it, they were able to basically take his recordings of previous conversations and I wasn't real clear on whether or not they stitched those together to make the message that they were sending because that's not really believable to me because the voice inflection is not we've all heard that you know computerized voice that doesn't sound like it should because the (laughs) inflection is just off right Uh, I like the idea that maybe that they just took his voice patterns and were able to recreate it into a a script that made it sound and say whatever he wanted. They wanted him to say, and then do the same thing for Max Green. So that I thought was really cool. Scary. If that is true, if if they can get that close and, you know, it's a pretty isolated situation that they were able to, to come up with for this completely believable though. Really scary. Can you imagine though, if you're, if you're Max and you're listening to him you think your friend Warren's about to die and kill himself, and then you start hearing your own voice telling him, "Go ahead, end your life." It's like that would just I think freak I'll do it you too. right out. Yeah, man, alive. Yeah, and 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 on top of that, right on the heels of that, he gets read in more, I think, than Fusco does has been. Mm-hmm. You know, Root is talking about some being that is, you know. Uh, um, that is kind of in control of this, and and of course that word just sends up the old antenna of Max. Did you say being? Mm-hmm. You know, is a human or you know, the, the poor guy is just in way in over his head, has no idea what he's into. And I guess this could be, if you look at it, an object lesson for Fusco. You get too close, this is what happens. Now you know he was getting too close on his own in the tunnel. Here's Max getting too close with these codes. Somebody's there to try to save him, Root, but you got to take advantage of the uh, of the saving when you get it. You know, so he's you know, she shoves him off into a corner or in a, in a closet somewhere to before uh, things you know kind of uh, settle down. And Reese picks him up, and now he's you know he's in between those two talking about all this stuff and thinking like, what in the world is going on here? And I can understand his fear. What you know, it's. What was it now? It was a movie called, I think, Conspiracy Theory, where, you know, Mel Gibson uh, publishes this conspiracy theory um, newsletter. And once he gets something right, and so the government actually is out to get him all of a sudden. Hmm. And he's like, I, I, I got it right? I got it right? Really? I got one right? You know, <laughs> so here's here's Max going, I got one right. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not, don't celebrate yet, buddy. Not, no, not, not time to uh, spike the football just now. <laughs> oh yeah. man it's so interesting too at at the end to see you know that he didn't he didn't decide to just keep it under wraps he made his own free will decision to tell the world he couldn't he couldn't keep his mouth shut root and well john wants to go back and try to save him again roots like it's too late but then as he starts getting those calls and people are just not believing him they're not following along with his uh his story they've got their own and so it looks like okay well this is just gonna bury it's gonna die it's gonna it's gonna fizzle out no one's gonna believe him it's just gonna be another crackpot theory whatever right Mm -hmm. but that's not good enough for samaritan and instantly samaritan brings in the new assistant or uh, the yeah that's the other front front desk lady yeah Yeah. and offs him with uh, something in the drink. And so 
I was just because I, I thought he was going to get away with it. I th- I really thought he was going to survive and and just oh yeah, he's crazy. Don't worry about it. Everyone will write it off as being him being crazy. That's not 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 good enough for Samaritan. And then the the reactions uh, by different Team Machine people to what happened at the end, I thought was was really uh, again very thought provoking. Mm-hmm. It kind of shows each of their their take on all of this. Uh, you know, when the machine says Max Green exercised free will, Harold says he's not comfortable where this is going. And I'm thinking to myself, when I say, you're not comfortable with free will? Yep. You know, I, I mean, he he has been, you know, pretty much uh, confident in what the machine was giving him in terms of numbers to save and all of that. When uh, at the end of season, what was it, three, when it wanted to kill the senator? Yep. That's when he, re- I think there's really a... Um, uh, kind of a turn. He turns a corner there a bit. And so now he is, I would think that this is something that Harold would appreciate, that the machine is not, um, you know, takes its hands off when it's time to take its hands off. Uh, you know, we we did what we could. We got the mission done. What he does beyond that is his own choice. You can't force people how to act. You can You can give them the opportunity to be saved. And he took it. And then he said, no, I, I think I'm going to still go out on my own. And he did. And Harold's not comfortable with that. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. I I, I think that's not entirely in character for Harold. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. What do you think? It, it's, it just seemed a little incongruous to me. Well, yeah, I, I can certainly agree with that. But I also think that it is completely believable for him to feel that way. Because it kind of lines up with what his argument is for the machine. That he's not comfortable where this thing is going. I'm not comfortable letting the machine have free will. And so I think it was, I think it, it kind of parallels that a little bit. But you're, I think you're right. I mean, um, I mean, they've, they've let people go off on their own before. It's not the first time they've let a number go. Right. Oh I've yeah, several there times was a, before. What was the one where uh, Reese let the two uh, people fight it boat. out <laughs> on the boat? Yes, I always remember that episode where he just walks off and lets them. Yeah, as you said, fight it out. So that that was a little bit interesting. Where, where, but I think maybe it just is just illustrates how much of a struggle Finch is in right now, uh, morally speaking, with with where lines should be drawn and who's who has the right to draw and determine what those lines are. Yeah, so that, that that should be interesting to see. And I I, I think what you uh, uh, said earlier, this is this looks to be the the crux of the uh, of this season here. The the main uh, question that that needs to be either answered or maybe maybe not answered. Still, we may wind up at the end with Root's idea, Finch's idea, fade to black. You know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we had a kind of a short Shaw story here. Uh, she punches out that two-way mirror again. There's, or it, maybe it's not a two-way mirror. It's just a regular mirror. Because I don't think there was a room behind it. Yeah, there's but, a wall uh, behind it. Yeah, I thought it was a two-way it, mirror, yeah. too. And then we see the wall, and I'm like, okay, I guess it's just a mirror. But she's punching it out, not throwing chairs. So, you know, that's... I don't know. Is that progress or regress? I don't know. But uh, but they have this radio in the room, and as soon as they showed that near the beginning of the episode, it's like, ah, okay, here we go. This is where we're going to make the connection here. Yep. And um, she looks like she's trying, you know, it looks like a sim 
trying to escape. She recognizes it. And then I wrote down in my notes, but is it? We're seeing her on camera. Now, we'll see a little later in one of the uh, feedbacks. They move the camera to Samaritanville, but they don't show her. They just kind of show externals, you know, that kind of thing on security cameras, but they don't show inside. This time they showed inside. And I was like, that's got to be, that's got to be real because there's a security camera picking it up mm -hmm. as opposed to it all being in, in her head. And they really did. This is, this is, I think at one point, well, no, this is a actually after that, you know, they do take her out another field trip Yep. to the doctor who's trying to recreate phylocines. <laughs> And uh, and thank you, uh, Linda, for that uh, great picture. Yeah, it's um, kind of like a dog, a little bit like a tiger, a little, I don't know. A little like a zebra? Yeah. In the back there? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Go to the Facebook group, folks. It's there. So they get her to the point where she, okay, fine, whatever. It's another thing, bang, whatever. And I, I thought that was a great, you know, uh, uh, double fake uh, for her. But I noticed that when she gets back to the Samaritanville, to the gurney, whatever, to the, her private room, the Samaritan, you know, uh, box, you know, text box comes up and says, secondary objective completed. And I'm trying to think, and what was that objective? Was it the killing of the doctor or was it the blurring of reality mm. so that she doesn't know the difference? And I was, that was, it was one of those things that just kind of flew past you there. But, yeah, uh, I totally missed that. I like that. And I think it could be either of those things. Um, I'm not sure which, which it was. This was another one of those, the whole, it, it, again, it felt like a ghost of Christmas, future, past, whatever, Christmas story mm -hmm. type of thing. As they're visiting different things and talking about their story. And, uh, I felt like this one was all real. I felt like they really did take her out. They really did allow her to see reality. But they've blurred it so much. And when she's joking, you know, making jokes, oh, this is all fake. We'll see more of that in, in you know next episode. But it it's really makes it interesting to figure out what's reality and and what isn't. And is that's a great observation. Is the secondary uh, objective making her confused on what is actual reality or eliminating the doctor because it really could be either one of those things. And what would the primary objective be? I guess to turn Shaw to their side totally, but this is uh, good enough, perhaps? Perhaps. That could be it, yeah. And then the nurse turns on the radio and we hear, now this was Morse code, wasn't it? Was this route piggybacking off the actual Samaritan uh, signal and pumping in a message for Shaw to hear? Yeah, you would think so. Because again, if it was a, some sort of proprietary code, it would have to be something that Shaw and Root uh, knew. If it was the other code that had been using, I mean, there's the whole thing of how did Root know that code and know that, you know, had to, she learn it so quickly. So yeah, it's gotta be something pretty basic, pretty easy, like Morse code, because both of them would be fluent in Morse code. But I didn't. And Shaw wouldn't know the new uh, code either. Yeah, exactly. Then that's the other part. So I didn't go back and like try to figure it out. But I would have assumed it was something like Morse code, if not Morse code. And we uh, see her starting another escape one more time. I think she's figured out that this is real. Yeah. Well, and two, I I, I forgot to mention, or I guess both of us did, that uh, 
Root was about to, Shaw was about to kill herself. You know, she had she was sitting there with a needle about to inject herself and take her own life, and Root was that moment of hope for her. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out this season when these two ladies really do reunite for for reals, um, because Root has very much seemed to have been the anchor point for Shaw throughout this entire ordeal. You know, we saw that with her. VR last week, and we saw it here with this, where Root very, very realistically saved her from death, even though Root doesn't know that it worked. That's what her intention was, and so um, I, th- I think they're really doing a nice slow build on this, and and should hopefully have a good payoff at some point this season. And perhaps this is you know this uh, is is showing a little bit of Root kind of getting back to her uh, in touch with her emotions, because as we know, she's got some issue with not being able to show them and little by little and maybe over 7,000 Sims, you know, that may uh, move things along as well. But uh, having hit bottom uh, the way she has been in uh, Samaritanville, that perhaps this is kind of bringing that back out of her. And maybe that's part of uh, what is, you know, fixed for want of a better word in, in Shaw uh, by the end of the season. Mm hmm. So that was a good episode. That was my favorite one of the uh, of the week, and I, it was just because it it all tied nicely together. I mean, you had the radio DJ and what was discovered there. He was the POI, but you know, it, with his free will, you know, choices that tied in nicely with the code that was discovered and then broadcast from his station to save Shaw. That tied in nicely. So this was a very from a nice printer. That was cool. Oh, and the printer, yeah. So, all very nicely. It was a nice, cohesive story. This is what I think we need for this final season. I'm, 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 I'm okay with having numbers of the week, but I want them to have a nice, cohesive part of the story. And this episode definitely gave us that. So we come to the final of our triple feature reassortment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out how in the world QSO, of course, is ham radio, and we. We're, you know, in a radio station right off the bat. A more perfect union. Clearly, we had a marriage going on here, a wedding. But reassortment, not sure what exactly is going on here. And we have a number of the week. You know, the question is, is he the victim or the perpetrator? And as it turns out, he's the gun, so to speak, I guess. He's kind of neither of those. He's he's more the instrument rather than the, uh, uh, rather than the one who's perpetrating it or the one who... Uh, He'll get killed, of course. He's in, in a victim of sorts, but it's he's really just patient zero in a human slash bird flu thing. And uh, wow, they you know, once they once they lock the place down, that's that's when the ball starts rolling. Yeah, this is. I mean, he, I wonder what he was up to to begin with. I mean, when he got off the airplane, switched out the SIM card, made the call, you know, he had something in his briefcase. It just, I felt like he was already up to something that was no good. And then for him to end up at the hospital, my first thought was he was exactly where he wanted to be. But then I thought, well, that doesn't really jive with what he said on the phone. So I don't know. Uh, but it, it just kind of made me wonder what what was his original plan? What was he originally up to? Because it felt like it was something nefarious to me, but maybe I was just over overanalyzing it a bit. Not that... Not that it matters or we'll ever find out. I was just curious. Did you get that same well, vibe I, or no? Well, yeah, I, I, I thought he I thought there was gonna be more of him and when he collapsed I was like, 
what? Mm-hmm. But I, what I really appreciated uh, as far as the writing in this episode was the fact that I was um, assuming that that okay, he needs a shot of whatever antivirus thing uh, he needs. Mm-hmm. It shows up just at the right moment. I'm thinking, yeah, that's Samaritan. Yep. And when they inject him, something's going to happen. And so enough, sure enough, he uh, he ta- he gets taken out. And so I, you know, okay, got this one figured out. I kind of understand the plot here. No, I don't. Um, that it's more than just Samaritan getting a specific uh, shipment of antivirus to a certain point at a certain time. No, Samaritan's taken hold of a whole healthcare system, which, uh, you know, which we find out at the end. And it was like, boom, you know, think you got it figured out, buddy? Ha ha ha. We got one more for you. I like that. That was really, uh, really well done. And uh, uh, again, the writers are doing a great job with this. It's, it's, I keep saying that, but it keeps being true. Yeah, the whole twist there, if you want to call it that, at the end where Samaritan, I mean, it, it, this goes back to the Patriot Act thing we talked about earlier. And, and then this is the episode where we got the Patriot Act mentioned. And I mean, that's, they're using that as carte blanche. And to to get whatever information they need in order to prevent acts of terror. And here, at the end of the episode, they've created this super virus to create a high-profile quarantine, to strike public panic, to manipulate the public into doing something that they wouldn't otherwise do. And do it all in the name of helping you out. Hey, come down to the nearest health clinic. We'll screen you to make sure that you're okay. We would just want to make sure that the, the we are interested in the health and public safety of our citizens. So come down for a free screening. Meanwhile, we're going to get your DNA. We're going to screen you, figure out what all is wrong with you. And if you conform to, you know, if your DNA and your the things you've got going on biologically conform to what we perceive the best future to be. And if you don't, well, you know, we'll take care of that at some point down the road. And it's just so diabolical, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, and I forget who actually said it first, but the idea was, hey, uh, for governmental power, don't waste a good crisis. That's right. And uh, we got a crisis, and okay, then we'll make you, you know, do this stuff. You really want to, and you can make it even voluntary, but um, or voluntary as some people pronounce it. <clears throat> but um, but it's going to be something that oh I yes definitely I want safety so I am going to go and give up all this information. Yeah, and uh, you know it's 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 drip drip drip. It's you know a little bit push the envelope a little more a little more a little more and pretty soon uh, to mix metaphors completely the frogs boiled and. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's right oh, I, I went a long way around to get to that one yes but yeah it's it's um it's just again if this was all at once like you said if this was all happening at once and everybody's now wait a doggone minute here but um in their best brooklyn accents but you do it one at a time one at a time and not just for no reason but here's a crisis and we can use that crisis to get the information we want yeah, and as the as the handler is is explaining that to Jeff at the end of the episode, it just is chilling uh, to and and so let's talk about Jeff and his role in this episode. Oh, yeah. He was 
perfectly manipulated by, I don't even know her name, the handler, but she, I mean, he just was her puppet, and I don't even know that he, he, he knows that he's doing the bidding of this other organization that he's kind of thinking he probably would rather not be a part of, but he doesn't realize just how much of a puppet. He walked right into her plan, did everything. He's not getting it. I thought he was going to die. I, I truly did. I thought he's expressed a desire to leave the organization. No one leaves alive. So they've sent him in on this suicide mission where he's going to be exposed to this virus, and that'll be the end of that. That turned out not to be the case. In fact, it sounded like he was immune from it because of, I mean, they had screened his DNA, and that's what made him the right candidate for the job. But even having said that, he's she's totally got him around her finger, manipulating him. She's, you know, she blackmails him with the fingerprints and... You know, he's using his girlfriend as a lever or leverage, you know, to get him to kind of conform into her will. So, but at the same time, he does have free will. He doesn't want to be taking, you know, he didn't want to kill those doctors because they were trying to save people's lives. He does have a moral compass, but he also wants to not die. So, uh, mm-hmm. or have those that we'll he loves to jail. care about die. So it's going to be interesting to see how his story arc plays out before the end of the season. I like how they have kind of fleshed out. You've seen a lot of Samaritan goons and they're, you know, they're just red shirts mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, come in, get shot or come in and move along. Don't say a word. They've really done a good job fleshing this guy out. Number one is we've, we know his past a bit. He's been, um, he's been out of in prison. Now he's finally getting out, trying to turn his life around. Uh, why is he trying to turn his life around? Well, he's trying to get back with his girlfriend and she's worried about, him going back to jail because four out of five uh, convicts do. So he's really he's got um, he's got great motivation. They've written this character really well and put him and they painted him right into a corner very nicely. Yep. And um, he's a painter. Yeah. Well, there you go. And <laughs> hadn't thought about that. Very good. Uh, so yeah. I, the, the, again, this is great writing, and they have uh, they give you a believable uh, story. I have said before that they typically, the writers typically tend to do a slow burn and build things up organically. And I think they've done that here. They have to rush, of course, 13 episodes, but they are, they have given this guy a little bit here, a little bit there in each episode to kind of point out why he's doing what he's doing. His naivete in going into it, he needs a job. They give him one. Great. He's going to get a promotion. Great. You know, so he's, he has been like masterly manipulated. Uh, by all these Samaritan uh, uh, goons again, and uh, I know I really I really appreciate what they're doing with uh, with the character. I like that. I, I do too. I love it, and I love what they did with Martine last season and and the season before. She was wonderful, but we didn't have any type of uh, empathy for her or sympathy for her. We you know she, she was always going to catch a bullet or get her neck broken, and we couldn't wait for that to happen. We love seeing all the action scenes that she did, but Jeff isn't her. Jeff is a guy that we can we can pull for a little bit. We can root for. We can maybe hope that he pulls down Samaritan from the inside, or you know whatever, uh, or he may completely just fall victim and become a, a a total puppet. Maybe Martine was that way at one point, and she just kind of got sucked over over time. We don't know, but we're getting a a deeper story arc with him than we did with her, and it's great. It really is. And he knows the name Samaritan, so that's something that uh, 
some of the other goons had no idea about, which is, like mm-hmm. you said, it was almost like his death warrant, but it but it wasn't. Right. Exactly. So they, very could have, very well could have been, and that would have been believable. Well, you, you, you know too much, so again, here's his suicide mission, and that turned out not to be the case. The, my favorite line, to go completely off subject here, mm-hmm. my favorite line from this episode was when they were locking down the place and talking to Reese to make sure that happened. He responds by saying, you may have to replace a few kneecaps, but no one's leaving. You know, thank <laughs> yeah. you. All right. Good yeah. job. That's how we That's how we do it. That was yeah, a great Because it's not line. root, so it's not ankle bones. You're going to be, be replacing kneecaps if required. Yep. Was it me, or did the the security guard that was there at the hospital, did he remind you of uh, John Candy from <laughs> from Vacation when they show up at Wally World? Sorry, folks, the park is closed. I just expected him to say <laughs> that. Have, I'm sorry, I have not seen Vacation, but but I but the whole John Candy thing, I can see him doing that anyway. Oh man, just just YouTube it up. It's on YouTube. You know, the very I think it was the first Vacation movie. They they take a trip and they go to Wally World and they get there and it's closed. And but John Candy is playing the security guard of of Wally World. So sounds AKA like a very Disneyland. happy guy, huh? Yeah, yeah it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's worth a watch. So Jeff shows up uh, with the syringes that he has been uh, he's been given. I thought there were going to be uh, possibly cures for certain people that they needed, but no, it's going to be um, going to take out the doctor and the nurse that are our main uh, source of help in all of this. And Samaritan wants this this uh, this outbreak to really really spread. I'm I was trying to think of what purpose that would serve the you know ultimately he gets every, you know the samaritan gets everybody worried and they're going to uh to giving up their dna as as part of a screening um but if everything had gone according to plan they would all be dead so i'm, I'm trying to understand what the original plan was i don't think we get to find out uh what that was and what it, what the intent was but it just seemed it seemed like what happened is perfect, you know, for what uh, Samaritan wants to do. And I maybe he thought that th- the thing was going to happen. Maybe he was trying to take out Fusco. I don't know. Uh, you know, again, this is a uh, an artificial super intelligence that can predict behavior. And I'm wondering if it predicted that Jeff would screw up or or Reese would show up. I, the question is, does uh, Samaritan even uh, recognize them at this point? Team Machine, I think it's still... I think they're still kind of hidden at this point. Yep. And Root's the only one that needs to have a a, a snazzy new uh, identity every hour and a half. Yeah, that's 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 exactly right. And I wondered the same thing. Like, what was the original intent? And my well, the way I I took it was that perhaps it was trying to set off the apocalypse, the this contagion that would you know we've this is another one of those fascinating storylines that we seem to never get tired of. I mean, I can remember reading this in comic books back when I was, you know, in high school or in college. And, and I mean, it wasn't even new to then. I mean, this is this outbreak and, and, and it kills whatever percentage of the earth's population. It's fun. And so I, I kind of got that impression that it was, it was going to unleash this huge super flu and kill whomever was weak and whoever survived. Great. You're the new brand of human. And I, because I think that's ultimately what it was trying to do. Okay, plan A, that was plan A. 
it got spoiled. So plan B is screen everybody, figure out who the strongest are, and now come up with ways to eliminate everybody else. Um, that's a lot harder to do, but that's kind of the way I interpreted it. So I don't know if we'll ever see that because hopefully the Samaritan will get taken down before that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, with the end of the world, and then we just uh, fade to black. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. The hospital administrator seemed, I don't know if he was aware of Samaritan, but certainly he had the same mindset of trying to get humans out of healthcare. You know, so it, it, that that always seems kind of a, a strange thing. You know, why would you do that? Because there's this whole TV show is like House MD, you know, when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with someone, you know, that it's a... Uh, it's not something that you can necessarily, uh, com- you know, program a computer to to figure out all the time. So it's, um, but you know, efficiencies and things like that. Either he has willfully drunk the Samaritan Kool Aid, or he thought it was root beer and he drank it anyway. He drank it anyway. Maybe even that. But uh, that was a nice little twist. Uh, but and, and this was another trope I, I thought was a little uh, odd that you know the, the administrator that is. More bean counter than, you know, than hospital kind of guy. You know, he is, he's a cog in a wheel. He's, you know, all efficiencies and stuff like that. And I, I, again, it's a trope, but it, uh, it, it, it worked in this for, you know, for what it was worth. Uh, and we got, um, we got, uh, Finch in there with him to, uh, to try to, to get the, uh, the, uh, the antiviral and realize what's going on that he's the guy behind it all. So, but, like I said, this was this was a, a an element of the plot that I was like, yeah, do we can we can these writers have done so well in the past? Can we try to avoid some of these uh, these tropes, or are we just running you know running quickly <laughs> so we have to get over with? Yeah, I'm trying to look up here while we're chatting. The what what the leading where does it fall in line as far as leading causes of death? And that's medical malpractice of some sort, right? A misdiagnosis. Mm. They left a towel inside your gut and you, you know, you got infection or what, whatever it is. It's fairly high up on the list. If, if it seems like it was what I've, what I've heard. So you could use that argument and say, look, if we take humans out of, you know, the medical diagnosis and practice, then, you know, we'll, become more efficient it will eliminate the fifth leading cause of death or whatever it is i don't know what number it is that's what i, was I think to he said out. it was third after a uh, heart disease and oh, did he okay maybe that's, gosh that's yeah where I heart heard disease it and, and something else um golly uh i forget what it was but uh, yeah i think he said it was third see i didn't remember that this is what happens when we have three episodes in one week i, just, <laughs> I forget details like you that. remember stuff i remember stuff you know that's why we have two people we'll right. figure it all out <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. Okay. So it looks like Jeff passed his exam, and I, it, he was kind of confused as to what his exam was. Yeah. And I think it was a loyalty test. You know, yes. you can go. You go into a uh, what seems to be a no-win situation, the Kobayashi Maru, and you come out just fine because you're immune to you know Klingon uh, photon torpedoes. So there you are. So you're saying he did it without having to hack the system? No, no. He just he just had a had a knack for it, you know, and. Uh, Jim Kirk would be uh, impressed. And Spock would be pissed. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and and I liked how um, Harold Finch was concerned about the fact that they keep losing numbers. 
Um, yeah. They get they got the number of Ko. They lost him. And again, he was kind of a victim, but more the so so the machine didn't quite see the full picture. He's going to die. We need to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's he's not the victim or the perpetrator. He is the weapon of mass destruction. You know, so this is, again, a little outside of the, the machine's programming, just like the missing persons and the suicides. Yep. No, they're actually murders, but since they look that way, the machine is uh, is missing them. And, yeah, that, that's uh, that's definitely disconcerting that the uh, that Samaritan has figured out how to game the system to keep the machine from uh, knowing what's going on. Yeah, and Reese says that the machine's been acting kind of weird lately or says something, I think, close close to that. Um and it is weird in the sense of exactly how you've just described it. I mean, the something is off. And I think is I also think it's exactly what you said. Samaritan has figured out how to kind of you know, we talk about how the the machine is operating in these blind spots. Well, Samaritan's kind of found its own blind spots for Team Machine and it's kind of operating in those in those areas, those dark spots. And at the end, uh, as far as the uh, this numbers story goes, um, you, you mentioned that Jeff was selected because of his genetic markers, and he's trying to figure out what's going on with now this mass DNA uh, harvesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, his handler says they just need to be sorted. This is where the reassortment thing uh, comes out to get through the next filter. So what's yeah. this filter? Our own savage history. Yeah, and that's that's very you know that's ominous you know that's a very good explanation of what samaritan's trying to prevent he has i would imagine it knows quite a bit of human history and how uh we have tended to get better and better at killing our ourselves uh, or others and uh it's trying to avoid that in the way it sees fit you know again it's a question of uh, the God saying, you will die. I'm going to take you out so that you over here, all you people, can live. And, you know, versus, you know, taking taking more hands-off approach and saying, you do what you need to. You you do, you, you have the freedom. I, you know, and again, the machine has, I guess the introduction of the machine kind of throws that off kilter a little bit because... Now, um, you know, you're trying to prevent things from happening. You're trying to arrest the perpetrator uh, before it happens. Yeah, you know, like as minority report, as you mentioned before. Right. Uh, is the machine is still doing a little bit of that, except that basically it tries to uh, save, you know, save the situation and then let go in this one spot and this one spot and this one spot. But Samaritan has got a little bit of megalomania uh, as part of its DNA there. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right, and and the reassortment you just mentioned, where it came from, that that was where I was that that scene there. I just didn't catch, didn't pick up more. So that's that's where I was thinking it was where it's tying back into was this idea that we're going to take these people, everyone's, we're going to get their DNA, we're going to identify certain markers, and then go through a filter. Well, a filter means that not everything is going to pass through the filter. And if you're talking about humans, well, then you're talking about death. And so what's going on here? I mean, it seems to me like Samaritan is really trying to create a master race, if you will, hmm. or at least, at least genetically speaking. I mean, I'm not saying it's all going to be, you know, 
white people or, you know, whatever race, and maybe it is. I mean, I use race because I don't know how else to describe it. I'm just saying a, a, a master human who, who has certain genetic markers that pass through all of the filters. And when you think about that, particularly if you use language like master race, we instantly think of Hitler and the Nazis. And Fringe did a great episode on this called the Bishop Revival, where the guy had the ability to, he had these, I don't know the, the right terminology, but he was able to eliminate people, kill people based on genetic markers. Uh, you have blue eyes and he doesn't want anybody to survive that has blue eyes. He can target just those with blue eyes. Just those with opposable thumbs, or not opposable mm-hmm. thumbs, hitchhiker's thumbs, you know, like I do. You can bend your thumb backwards like that. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, you know, whatever that genetic trait is, and they can target just that and eliminate just people that have that trait. And so it sounds like that is what Samaritan is trying to do here, is to develop certain filters. Those who don't pass that filter are eliminated. And that, to me, is a, is a master race. And, and that, because we've seen Samaritan over these course of episodes as we've kind of taken Shaw through the Christmas story scenarios, mm-hmm. where you could go, oh, yeah, it's going to kill those guys that took away the air conditioning and, and killed the children. It's not so bad. And then you get to this and you're like, oh, never mind. It's actually quite terrible. I, was, I don't know what I was thinking. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's a snap back into reality. Well, it's, again, this incrementalism. This is this little bit is good. This little bit is good. This little bit is good. And when you get to your destination, you're going, "How in the world do we get here?" Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So again, it's it's giving up a little uh, freedom for a little security. And as I believe Benjamin Franklin once said, "Those who give up a little freedom to get a little security deserve neither." And so you wind up with a uh, you give up your freedom to whom you know. A, a company, a government, whatever, and you know, you 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 need to be very. I think you need to be very uh, covetous of your own freedom and try to keep as much as you can for yourself, so you have your own uh, pursuit of happiness in your own control, rather than giving away that uh, giving that away to somebody else. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that's I, I think it's just incrementalism until we see that uh, uh, you look back and think, wow. What did we do? Yep, exactly right. Well, Fusco at the end here is finally had enough. He wants to be reassigned, and he's been reassigned mm-hmm. by request, and will not be uh, moved here. Don't tell me not to do my job. I'm going to do my job. Get out of my face. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And that was hard to watch, you know, because he has been such a reliable uh, friend to the crowd. And, and even with... How Reese treats him sometimes, you know. Yep. He he at the be- at the you know the first uh, couple of seasons I could you know he was he was kind of throwing his uh, corrupt cop uh, stuff back in his face uh, now and then, but even now he you know he little snide remarks things like that. It's almost as if Reese doesn't really appreciate uh, Fusco. Reese is ex CIA and he can take anybody out and he knows automatic weapons and Fusco's just this you know detective you know whatever. Yeah. And but Fusco has got a particular set of skills that has been very useful to Team Machine. He's been very loyal. He's been tortured for all of this, not knowing what's going on. And, you know, I think it was kind of, you know, uh, what goes around comes around with to Reese. You know, look, buddy, out of my face. You know, I'm taking control. 
Yep. Um, you've been giving me a hard time, and 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 so I'm done with you. Yeah, it's it's hard to feel sorry for Reese. I mean, I and I don't. He he kind of you made your bed. And now you gotta you now you gotta lie in it, and so. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is the end of Fusco. I don't. I don't even know if this means we're going to see less of Fusco. It's just the different stage of his story arc, and it seems to be a very natural progression of his story arc. He, enough is enough. And Elias has the same issue, and we see at the end he's telling Finch that you know you've got to bring us all in on this. A, le- a leader enlists all of his resources in war, not just his favorites. That was a great line. Yes. And he gives him the book 12 O'Clock High. I'm sorry, it was the movie um, 12 <laughs> O'Clock High. Yeah. Now, I have not seen that, and we've got a, uh, some feedback a little later yep. that explains kind of the themes there uh, that shows why this is kind of uh, a fitting uh, a gift to give to him. But I liked what he said. Uh, you know, th- th- there's that about, you know, bringing us all in, Fusco and, uh, and Elias, but there was this line that I think is definitely a uh, a foreshadowing thing for later on because we've we've talked before about the fact that Finch doesn't want to use a gun, but at the end of last season he got one. He was given one to use just in case, and I thought that we were going to see that you know used maybe in the season opener. Mm-hmm. But th- then there's this line from Elias: "Quote, it's always the quiet ones we need to be afraid of." I'm not around. I hope I'm not around when that pot finally boils over and that is just you know to me that was just telegraphing that finch at some point is going to you know explode he has been the you know the the mild-mannered calm cool collected guy this whole time let's be careful let's be measured let's be cautious let's do things in order and at some point uh i'm guessing that that the fight with samaritan is just going to push him over the edge yeah, and what? So what? I, I completely, a hundred percent, million percent, even though that's not possible, uh, agree with you. You know, but if he's the pot that finally boils over, something has got to cause him to boil over. And as things are going right now, if if they held status quo as as bad and dire as things are, even with his machine getting beat ninety billion to nothing or whatever it was, that's not enough. I don't think. I think in order for him to boil over, loss of life has to come. Uh, and so I'm, I'm curious if you feel the same way. And if so, I mean, how many lives will be lost? Who, who, what would be enough to make Finch go? Uh, I mean, to, to, to do what Elias described here, because what Elias described was a pretty bleak, angry, dark, to, to think about Finch in that way because it is much different than what we've seen him but something is going to cause him to finally snap and I think that's got to be a death or deaths do you feel the same way and, and who do you I think? wonder if it involves grace I hadn't oh thought gosh, about that I, I was just thinking either. it was going to be just the pressure of everything mm-hmm. or losing another number or that kind of thing but it just it just occurred to me maybe maybe it's something to do with grace she's threatened or put in you know a very um, dangerous position and maybe that does it that would do it. I mean, we've seen her, like we mentioned earlier in this, in our season, we've seen her three times now. So that would make sense. They brought her back to again, get her fresh in our minds a little bit. I love that idea. I was thinking, you know, Team Machine members, you know, Shaw, Root, Reese, Fusco. So uh, I think that, I think, I I like that best. I think that's it. 
which is well. A let's get let's stringer. get back to the Shaw uh, angle on this particular episode because yep. she's finally uh, made it out of. Um, well, she is working on getting out, and it, I think I think we agreed at this point. She she has figured out that this is actually the um, that this is reality. This is not the uh, another one of those Sims. Is it? The reason yeah, I say because well. the mirror was no longer broken. Now that was last episode when she broke it. So, and it's not the first time that she's broken it. We've seen her break it m- multiple times. Of course, those were scenarios. Those were Sims, mm-hmm. right? So now we saw her break the mirror in the last episode, and in this episode, it was it was whole again. So, good point. Good point. I don't know. Uh, I, don't know. Could, I want you, to believe that she escaped and that it was all real, and I do believe that it was all real. But I'm just saying. It could have all been fake. Now, here, here's a question. Okay. In the previous Sims, she goes. they take her on field trips. They go out to the park. They go out to Chechen Rebels. Is, do the Sims take place in New York City? It seemed like they did. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, when she breaks out and winds up, she realizes she's in Johannesburg, South Africa, is this like, well, this is different. And... Perhaps that's another clue to the fact that this is actually reality for mm-hmm. her. You know, it's been constantly supposedly said in New York City, but now all of a sudden I'm uh, halfway around the world. So I th- I think maybe that that's that she has got that figured out and and she knew that when she took the shot at um, Lambert, I believe is his name. And and took him out in the uh, in the kind of the basement of the uh, prison. Mhm. So I think she knows um, that this is reality, and I think it is reality. Yeah, I do too. I completely agree. I, I just think it's interesting. Like I said, we have to. We we've been lulled into this, not lulled, but but, but driven mm-hmm. into this conflict that Shaw is in. Is this real or is it fake? We don't know. And we have to look for clues. And I think you point out some good clues there. And I think the mirror might be another one, but I think she really has escaped. Now you had a note here that Shaw just. Something her way out of Samaritanville. I don't get that reference. <laughs> she defrained. She Andy defrained her way out of Samaritanville. You know the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, oh, okay. And All you right. know, he he tunneled his way behind the poster and and got his way out of uh, Shawshank. So okay, I I yeah. you know I really need to see that. I have never seen it. <gasps> My parents have said you yeah, it's a great movie. You need to see that. And I have not. It is so the close, good. The closest I've come movie. to that is Escape from Alcatraz, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No. You, every human on this earth needs to see the Shawshank Redemption. It's 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 great. It's wonderful. All right. I will take that as a uh, recommendation. Yeah. Do we have a new friend, a new friend of Steam Machine in Samuel there? Maybe. I, I mean, don't know what he's going to do from a jail in South Africa, but... Um, Interesting. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Or even if he does get out and finds his way in New York, I mean, what are the odds of them crossing paths? Or, hey, look me up. My name's Samin. Because I'm <laughs> sure she's the only one. I mean, it's not a common name, but it's not that uncommon. So I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see him again or how they would be able to do it and make it, you know, believable. But they they made sure we knew his name and, and, and that there was a connection between Shaw and him. That's you right. Know, so it's like, you know, Look, look, look. You know, okay, well, interesting. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see. It's possible. And so, yeah, she takes out uh, Lambert, although he did a great job of trying to 
um, mix up, mix her up again, you know, trying to bring back some of the memories from The Sims, killing Reese, bring yeah. back memories from her reality. You were in this uh, uh, prison before. No, that was The Sim. She was trying to sort that all out. Yeah, and um, that was good. And that was a great, it was a great, uh, you know, psychological uh, moment there. Is he dead? Because he kind of died like Elias did last season, where he got shot near the heart, shot near the heart, uh, and kind of slumped over, eyes open, looked like he breathed his last, but maybe not, you know? The body bag wasn't zipped up. That's right. That's right. So who knows? He may be back. If he's, if it was a sim, he's definitely not dead. But I mean, assuming that it's <laughs> it was real, I think he's dead. But who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up alive in some way. Alrighty. Whew. Well. Man, we did it. We did it. That was a lot. So much. It was good. It was a great week of POI. And uh, three, I don't ever want to do three episodes in a week again, though. That's that's too much. Man, that, it's, a, it's a whole lot. Like I said, it was a, I think we had two really good front to back episodes. One, a good, you know, myth story movement, but not so much on the, uh, on the uh, number of the week, yep. it, you know, like I said, for this uh, time of uh, this season of the uh, show, but uh, all all not bad. Tuesday was a bang up a day, man alive. It was. We have one more week. Next week we'll have two episodes. We'll talk about those in a little bit, and then that's it. Then it finally gets down to one episode a week. So just <sighs> one more multiple episode week, and then we've made it through the gauntlet. This was one the more toughest marathon, week, though. Yeah. Well, Doug, I don't know if you've had any time this week to look up any surveillance in the news articles. Maybe some of our snazzy listeners sent some in. But uh, either way, have you got something for us? I do. One of our snazzy listeners, Andrew Jeeves, had uh, sent me a link to theintercept.com with the headline, NSA and CIA, L-M-N-O-P-Q-R-S-T, double their warrantless searches on Americans in two years. They doubled them. Uh, from 2013 to 2015, the NSA and the CIA doubled the number of warrantless warrantless searches they conducted for Americans' data in a massive NSA database, ostensibly collected for foreign intelligence purposes, according to mm-hmm. New Intelligence Community Transparency Report. Uh, the estimated number of search terms concerning a known U.S. person to get the contents of their communications within what is known as the 702 database was 4,600, more than double the 2013 figure. So there's the vacuuming up of data, the collection of data to put into this database. And then this is a, a number with the a number of how many searches were done on that database. Now, again, allegedly this is supposed to be for foreign intelligence, uh, Americans involved in uh, issues outside of or tra- communicated in or out of the U.S., but but not within the U.S. Uh, although, you know, the question is, has this been uh, properly uh, used? That, and that's not even including the FBI searches on the same database. Um, a recent, recently released Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court ruling confirmed that the FBI is involved to run any number of searches it wants on that database, not only for national security, but also to hunt for evidence of just traditional crimes, it says. No estimates have been released on how often that happens. So the the FISA court, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance, I forget what the A stands for, but the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court uh, is this kind of super secret. Not it, it's its existence is well known and acknowledged, 
but it it, it operates in secret to deal with um, intelligence requests, uh, taps, wiretaps, uh, email taps, that sort of thing for international or foreign correspondence, you know, involved in terrorism or national security issues. The thought is that this court has been kind of a rubber stamp because it is a very rare instance, if it happens at all, that they would say, nope. So it's almost, it's kind of like a fig leaf that, uh, uh, that the government has set up to say, see, we have, you know, independent judges who say we can do this. Mm. And, uh, yeah, right. Okay. Uh, many activists as well as lawmakers describe the practice as a backdoor search. This is, uh, especially for things that are not necessarily, uh, searches that are not for things that are unlawful, but just for information, um, and a way to gather evidence on Americans without getting court approval. So anyway, we'll have a link to that in the show notes, uh, a lot more information in there. And, uh, it's, it's kind of a scary thing. You know, it's the government doing all this stuff in the, in the, uh, in the background. We give it the power, keep us safe. And, you know, so there is that trade-off safety versus freedom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's another great example of that. All right. Wow. That's pretty scary stuff. If you ask me, so let's move on and not think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to something a little later. Yeah. Um, we have passed the deadline for our Live Another Day contest. This is where we were asking you to send in your predictions of not only who would die and who would live throughout the remainder of the season series, but in which episode would those who are going to die by your prediction meet their demise? And so we have all of those. We have them in a spreadsheet. And no one yet has died, so... Everyone who got your submission in, we, we kind of picked that date arbitrarily, thinking surely no one will die by this episode, and that turned out to be the case. So, um, yeah, so everybody is still in it at this point, and we'll see at the end of the season um, who our winner is, and the winner is going to get their choice of any season of POI on their choice of Blu-ray or DVD. So. I will say that we have not uh, known for sure that somebody's dead. One of the people on the list is Control, and we're not sure if she's alive or dead. That's right. Um, and I think that if we go through the whole season without any uh, mention of her disposition, I can't imagine we would. But if we don't, we've got to ass- we're going to assume alive. If there is any, uh, on any character actually, if there is a question as to whether or not they're alive or dead, we're going to assume that they are alive unless we see the body bag zipped up. <laughs> We never saw the body bag on her. Even though she was being let off to die or to be killed, we never saw that. All right, well, let's get into feedback for this week. Lots of great feedback from all of you great listeners. We'll get it kicked off with audio from Worcester. I think I pronounced that right. Judy, correct me if I'm wrong. Hey, Daryl and Doug. It's Chechi Judy, the Polish blonde, calling in with my thoughts for these three episodes this week. Let's start with episode six, A More Perfect Union. This one I rated 7.5 Twisted Sister songs sung in an Irish brogue. The main storyline was, uh, frankly, boring. Um, the only thing that saved it was Reese being stripper security. He pulled that off well and finishes singing. Um, that's the only reason it, that my rating was as high as it was. Episode seven, QSO. This I rated 8.5 Little Green Men Hiding in My Radio Waves. This was a good story. I liked it. It was a new take on the conspiracy theory nutcase type of storyline. But anyway, isn't this show based on a conspiracy theory? 
Okay, episode eight, reassortment. This one I rated 8.5. Did she say contagious comments? <laughs> I had a hope slash theory that Mr. Xcon Painter was recruited by the machine, being that the machine has taken a page out of Samaritan's book and started recruiting, recruiting because of the, uh, the lady's almost word-perfect speech to the ex-con that m- absolutely mirrored the speech that Finch gave Reese way back in the beginning at the start of the whole run. So that's what had my hopes up, but that was blown out of the water. Oh, well, in any case, this is Chechi Judy, the Polish blonde in Worcester. Get it right, Daryl. Signing off. <laughs> yeah, I think I give pronounced it, it right. I think she uh, just reaffirmed. give it to him. Keep giving it to him. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I didn't match the parallel. I didn't notice the match in parallel there with with Reese's original uh, or Finch's ar- ar- argument to Reese. That's a uh, that's a really nice catch, Judy. Well done. And she seemed to have a kind of a, quite a parallel um, uh, thought of uh, a more perfect union as we did. You know, mm-hmm. the number story, eh? The rest very interesting. Yes. Yep. All righty, we have something from Mitchell Burgess, and this came in in like two separate emails, and it's massive, so I'm going to try to blow through it here. And uh, he's this is not, he's he's got a kind of a disposition of each of the characters, uh, not so much with the uh, the episode, so this wasn't really an entry in the, uh, in the, ep- uh, the uh, contest, but here we go. Mitchell Burgess, big fan of the show, as well as a big fan of Golden Spiral Media. Good job. Followed the Fringe podcast for all but the first few episodes. Nice. Thank you for all your efforts. Yes. You make watching Person of Interest that much more satisfying. You're a water cooler of the World Wide Web. Mm. How about that? Here are my predictions, and they are illuminated by personal taste and sense of story. Fusco makes it to the end. He is the voice of the viewer on the show, a la Cisco, Hurley, or Xander. We're bringing in all sorts of... uh, TV shows here. As such, I don't think the audience would be satisfied with his death. He has shown his change of heart and transformation throughout the series, culminating in his arrest, rather than execution, of Simmons in The Devil's Share. He will be given a golden parachute with a happy ending for himself, his son, a job promotion, and perhaps even a lady love. Control is alive. She will remain alive. She will kill Greer in the penultimate episode of the series, .exe. Narratively, it would be most satisfying for her to take him out, having learned her lesson. Control has made an interesting character journey already from faceless evil bureaucrat to burdened, unthanked protector of a nation, who has had to make the hard choices while elected officials wash their hands of the responsibility. Mm. Greer dies. He must die, because we hate him. He is the embodiment of our worst fears of technology and shadow government. He is a Judas, not just to a nation, not even to the world, but to humanity itself. He has sold out, and like Judas, there's nothing but death and judgment awaiting him. He will likely die self-satisfied and smug, so the audience won't feel as bad relishing his downfall. (laughs) But it would be awesome, to me, if some sense of the horror he has unleashed via Samaritan would cross his face as he goes. He will die before seeing Samaritan's downfall, either to allow the smug exit or to install, instill the horror I'd like to see him experience. Bear makes it. Who doesn't love Bear? Shaw, who is, quote-unquote, only in it for the dog, will take custody of him. It wouldn't be fair to not give Bear his moment in the spotlight, so there will be a close call, last act of 
badassery for Bear, in which he says one or more mem- saves one or more members of the team and takes what will appear to be a fatal blow. Later, it will be revealed he is still alive, and he will recover and make it to the end. Shaw will make it to the end as well. If they wanted her dead, she'd have died last season, heroically saving the team. To replay that would cheapen both. She makes it. She will also likely be more humanized at the end, more compassionate. A reappearance of the young Russian girl spy, or at least the Medal of Lenin, would be nice touches, but they may not fit Shaw's character arc. And uh, they, they may not fit, period. Shaw's character arc is not complete until her coldness, brokenness, is in some way warmed and softened. This will likely happen by Root's death. Ooh. Root, yeah, Root doesn't make it. She can't. Her past crimes require her death. She hasn't learned her final lesson. She loves the machine, her god or goddess. She obviously cares for Root. She will be forced to choose. Her obsession with and service of the machine has changed her. But the final lesson is one of Finch's and the machine. People are more important than things, even a special thing like the machine. She will be forced to choose between the machine or Root. I think he meant to say uh, Shaw. I think so too, yeah. And she will end up sacrificing herself for Shaw, the person. Lesson learned, life over. She dies in the series finale episode. Mm. The Machine and Samaritan, and I just remembered now, Mitchell actually did send in a separate email with his predictions with episodes. So, yes, you are in this guy. Don't let me you know, scare you about that. You're in. <laughs> okay, so The Machine and Samaritan. This is hard. I believe the writers will do something special with this. In the final episode of the series, I believe we will see the defeat of Samaritan by the machine. I imagine it will take some form of, if you can't beat him, join him. Samaritan will believe it is dealing the killing blow to the machine, but in truth, the machine will infiltrate, be absorbed by Samaritan, and then like a virus, will corrupt or redeem Samaritan's code with its own and transform Samaritan via its assimilation. The final result will be an amalgam, but ultimately guided by the machine's core values. It is this new amalgam AI that Root is talking to in the message from Season 5, Episode 1. Reese dies in the final episode. Reese's story is ultimately a heroic tragedy. The words from Season 1, Episode 1, later repeated in the episode Many Happy Returns, may also be repeated again in one form or another. Reese had his chance, but in letting his true love go, he doomed them both. His ending things with the psychiatrist points to his doomed outlook. Mm -hmm. Zoe Morgan will appear again. But they will not be a couple. Instead, she will, intentionally or not, reinforce John's resolution to be alone. He still feels a need to journey down a path of penance. I think what would ultimately be the most satisfying story-wise would be something like this. Finch is brought to a moment of crisis. Grace is present, or at least in the vicinity. Finch has his, it's better for her if I'm not in her life outlook. Much like Reese's own outlook with Jessica, Finch will believe it is better for himself to die, sacrificing himself for the greater good, including Grace. Reese will intercede and die in Finch's place, but not before telling Finch that he needs to go to Grace and be with her. Reese will prevent his dear friend from making the same mistake he did. Finch will have saved Reese, ultimately to save himself. Reese sacrificing himself for Finch and keeping Finch from the same tragic path he took will be our hero's final redemptive act, which the series as a whole has been. Finch will be reunited with Grace, and the two will live happily ever after. It is what everyone wants, and if we don't get it, we are left diminished. Plus, it's even sweeter knowing that they are a couple in real life as well. Yeah. Wow. I, are you sure you're not really a writer <laughs> for this show? Wow. These are great. I, I mean, yep. you're, you're, you're 
uh, sense of the story and what would be satisfying and and the story arcs and stuff like that's amazing. Wow. Yep. Excellent stuff. All right. Well, thank you, Mitchell. Let's go to Team Yellowbox, who says regarding a more perfect union, the potential asset tag regarding Shaw always makes me nervous to see. It was a great scene with her and Greer in the park. All of the Greer Shaw stuff was great in this episode. Root on a horse. What can you say other than love it? I'm actually surprised Root didn't stay behind and try to break into the cage to help machine without Harold's okay. It speaks to her growth that she didn't, but it's still a bit surprising. Speaking of Root, she looked a little sad at the wedding. I wonder if it's because she's thinking about Shaw. Speaking of Shaw, I'm bummed they keep showing her in simulations. I get she's a flight risk, but still, I'm ready to see her in the real world again. It was fun seeing Samaritan Kid again, but I could have taken seeing him after Shaw agreed to help Greer take out the arguably more dangerous players, even if they just wear business suits welcoming her to the team and giving her her first assignment. Shaw's plot felt kind of full circle-ish in the episode to me. Greer was essentially giving Shaw her original job back and stopping her high-profile attacks before they happened, but because it's Samaritan, you have to watch for that they-will-try-to-kill-you-for-knowing-too-much moment like we saw in episode two, season two, episode 16, when they targeted Shaw because of Cole's actions. It'll be interesting to see if Samaritan will use Shaw as a distraction to get the team's focus on her while they do something else to attack them, or if they use her as just an attacker against them to try and throw off their game. Also, if Shaw pushes to keep taking down white-collar criminals as the next step for helping the world after everything that happens, like voicing the option during the epilogue moment because Greer has a point in those people are dangerous too. Um, so obviously some of that uh, opinion probably changed after the next couple of episodes, the next of which was QSO. Well, I, I liked, I liked what, it, uh, what they said about mm-hmm. that, that Shaw has kind of been given her old job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Killing people before they did something uh, bad. That's exactly what the relevant uh, side of this was doing before. That's, that's a good observation. Mm-hmm. That's true. Sure. Uh, regarding QSO, Team Yellowbox says, Great opening scene with Root and Fusco. The rotating identities montage for Root was good. Poor Shaw being conned into killing the woman because she couldn't tell what was real. Was that Sovereign or Samaritan talking to Root? Definitely a mass effect tone to the Samaritan voice in that scene. Yeah, we didn't even talk about how the Samaritan voice came through that speaker. I yes, love that so much. I even had to know uh, how fantastic I thought that was. That was really, really cool. And then uh, regarding reassortment, uh, Team Yellbox says, I wonder what Samuel was in jail for and if we'll see him again this season helping Samin again. Interesting scene between Finch and Elias at the end. Yeah. Alrighty. Yeah, that was a great scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Andrew R says, Hi, Double D's. It seems one of our gang who has a lot of screen time this run is influencing the commercial buys. It's bare, of course. There was a double buy from Purina and one from Flea Color Companies. <laughs> mm. I guess those were the, uh, the, the ads. Now we know say. why we've seen bare every episode. There we are. Do I smell a spinoff? Turner and Hooch remake? Fusco and Bear or Root and Bear? It's a procedural, so CBS should pick it up. <laughs> I must turn off the TV before 
the POI show promo comes on. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch those too because especially if they're that, that was something I wrote um, in the Facebook group when uh, we were watching. It was like, you know, here's scenes from our next episode. Your next episode's next. What do you need scenes from it for <laughs> crying out loud? Yeah, well. Yeah. There was a show on uh, in the 80s, maybe the 70s, called BJ and the Bear. Yes. Well, there was, yeah, oh, I see. Yes, yes. It was a dog, right? Yeah, and a chimpanzee. No, it was a chimpanzee. Oh, it was a chimp. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. That's, thought, that's, that's going back a bit. Yeah, I thought it was cool when I was a kid because it was this truck driver that rode around with a chimpanzee saving the world. I thought it was like the best show ever. <laughs> I think I was right in its demographic. Eight-year-olds, yes. <laughs> um, okay, this one comes in from Dutch, and he says regarding a more perfect union, missed joke of the year. Riley flings a horseshoe at the bad guy, knocks him out, and then makes a lucky horseshoe joke. My suggestion, they should have had the horseshoe land resting against the side of the guy's head, re saying, yes, leaner. Two points. <laughs> that actually would have been hilarious. <laughs> I might have rated it up half a point for that joke, but alas. Just for that one. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get that. Okay. Carol Dolacek. Okay, for a more perfect union. She says, sad to see Bruce go so soon. However, it makes sense due to the shortened season, it's probably going to be the right kick in the butt for Elias. Yes, I agree. He was ready to sacrifice himself in order to get revenge for Anthony. Scarface by having Dominic kill Link and undermine his own authority that way. Therefore, I think he might be willing to head into the fray one last time for Bruce and his friends, Machines Acolytes. Messing with Shaw's head reminded me of my philosophy in sci-fi course this year. That is an interesting one. That sounds fascinating. The only way to find out you are in a simulated reality is by having references. A constant, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Meaning having lived in a real world prior to the simulation, and then only if the processing power and programming is not sophisticated enough to make you believe. You might say that the signs of fear and hesitation people show in the next episode when Shaw is actually not in the simulation might be a clue, but Samaritan might just be smart enough to project Samin's expectations. Somehow I can't tolerate the presence of Samaritan, knowing he's just a simulation. Yeah, but he's cool anyway. I really like that character. <laughs> I really like the way Team Machine is coming together. Even if they die and fail, or fail and die, they will have done so by the side of by the side of true comrades. Another meaning of the episode title, More Perfect Union. Okay, yeah, very nice. I like that, yeah. Uh, regarding QSO, I very much enjoyed seeing the process of Roots rotating identities. And am I way too intrigued by her ballerina persona? Just how prodigious Samantha actually is. A note on Warren Franco, the caller friend. I think it's quite probable that we haven't heard him in the episode at all. Probably all of his calls were synthesized to prepare the listeners and the cops for his nearing suicide. Good point. That's fascinating, yeah. While the trick being played on Shaw was quite obvious to us as the viewers, it is entirely believable to Shaw. It's just so exhausting, and her reality is so distorted that she would shoot the scientist without thinking about it too much. What I don't really understand is Shaw's awareness of the simulations, and that's true. At what point does she become aware of them? From what, we, what we've seen, she did not know about the 6,740 simulations before the one we got to see. But in the last two episodes, she's aware of them happening, even when she is, even when she is one, although she's not necessarily able to distinguish it from reality. Love the message for Shaw and hope it gave her fourth alarm fire. And the hope it gave her. 
Yeah. As well as her willingness to end herself to avoid being used anymore. At that point, it's not even defeatism. It's just an act of taking control where you're not sure you have any. I'm totally on the side of the machine and root regarding the question of Max's free will. Okay, we've got a vote on that side. Mm -hmm. As to reassortment. For a moment, I thought that Samin is absolutely brilliant and dug that hole in the wall bit by bit, finding a way to recognize reality from simulation. However, she just bashed through using the axe. No way she would have had the unsupervised time to pull off a Shawshank Redemption. There you go. (laughs) Jeffrey Blackwell is back, smart enough to have misgivings and call out his handler, who is high enough in the rank to know at least the word Samaritan. That is true, yes. Uh, on her knowledge of his date. Maybe he will need his own redemption story uh, through working the irrelevant list. It is incredible how Samaritan can find the right leverage to desire to stay out of prison for Jeff versus the desire to remove human error for the hospital administrator. It was cool how Lambert tried to confuse Shaw into believing she was just another simulation. But I just knew that Lambert had to go. So satisfying. (laughs) And those moralists try to claim that killing is never justified. I feel we will get a definitive answer about Shaw next week. Either she is in a simulation, despite the clues given, and finally gets broken, or she escapes and rejoins the team. We really have no time for anything else. Elias finally getting back into the game. Fusco with his game on. Very interested to see where that leads. Regarding Elias's remark towards, the, towards Harold about him being the darkest one of them all, In a certain way, he might be right. It was Harold who created the largest, most invasive surveillance system ever. He is way too afraid to trust himself and way too dismissive of Roots, Fusco's, and Elias' advice. Do you think this will lead anywhere? Real fight between him and Root, or maybe him abusing the machine somehow? Or is it just a remark to make the character more aware of his actions, possibly doubt himself even more? 932,570,592,000 is the approximate number of lost fights. That's a lot. Mm. The book given to Finch in the form of a movie, 12 O'Clock High, it's a story about the burden of command and the toll the war takes on the leader and his men, but also the necessity of hard decisions. And yes, that is very applicable at this point in the uh, series. Thank you very much. That was great. Yeah, yes, indeed. Yes, indeedy, as my friend Doug would say. Oh, that sounds weird. Why would he say that? Uh, he's a weird guy. You just have oh. to know him. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see what Andrew Jeeves had to say. Hi, Daryl and Doug. Nice. Nice intro. Wait, what? I like that already. Smart guy. Unfortunately, I did not catch all three live. The first episode was due to watching the NBA Eastern Conference Finals, and the other two, I was out at the movies watching The Nice Guys funny and awesome movie these three were interesting to a degree i loved team machine crashing a wedding and finch's irish accent and him singing i was very surprised to find that the wedding photographer was the target and not the bride and groom i also liked the scene where team machine toasted each other in qso it was interesting to see what i've always wanted to see team machine protecting a conspiracy theory radio host from threats though i was very saddened to see that finch and reese Still want to keep Fusco in the dark that Fusco had to quit Team Machine and want a new partner assigned to him. In reassortment, I liked that Shaw finally I liked Shaw finally escaping and finding out that Decima's new base is not in New York City, but in a prison in Johannesburg, South Africa. I would love to see how she will escape South Africa and meet up with Team Machine in New York. 
I also think Elias is right, and Finch must allocate every resource to fight the war with Samaritan, and also has a dark side, which, by looking at future press releases, will do everything at all costs to beat Samaritan and return everything to how it was before Samaritan came online. And then he closes out by saying, Don't stop believing! Cheers. Should I have sung that in an Irish accent? <laughs> I just wonder if he said it that way exactly. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Don't stop believing me, boy. Alrighty, Barb Rankin. Instead of audio, we have typey typey from her. From the Facebook group, actually. Mm-hmm. She says, okay, three episodes in roughly 24 hours was just too much to absorb on a show like POI, says the person who has binge-watched Breaking Bad three times. <laughs> Alrighty, several thoughts. Number one, Fusco goes rogue. How very sad to watch the relationship fall apart like this, but he's right. He's been a member of the team, and they should trust him. He's a big boy, he's been shot at, and he deserves to know the truth. I know they want to keep him safe, but he's almost died several times, so it helps to know what you're fighting for. Mm -hmm. Number two, Shaw is one tough cookie, and I agree that it was hard to tell what was real and what wasn't. The question is, did they allow her to escape? And I think Greer did exactly that. Mm. I don't know why they're working so hard to convert her, though, unless they feel it's their only way to find out what is left of the machine. Seeing Samaritan was creepy. Someone needs to spank that brat. (laughs) Number three. I was surprised that Elias doesn't seem to know about Samaritan. I thought he was read in. I don't see Elias quietly sitting in the sidelines for long. No. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, I don't think Elias has not been read in officially, but I think he knows a bit more. He's he's figured out a bit more than uh, some other folks. Yep. Number four. How sad to see the forlorn faces of our team at the wedding. No normal life. No love life. I hope someone gets their happy ending besides Bear. Okay, guys. That's it for this week. I'm giving the episode the three episodes combined eight. I've got to watch this again. Little lost reference there. Mm-hmm. Lots of content. Barb signing out and wondering which of our trio caught the bouquet. <laughs> it was funny too to see like everybody one at a time think that it was just bizarre for Root to want to go to a wedding. Yes. <laughs> yeah, knowing her past, you 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 wonder. Yeah, she's like, I left a guy at the altar just six months ago, or whatever the time frame was. So. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, thanks so much for your feedback, Daryl. Why don't you tell them how they can get in touch with us? Well, thanks, Doug. I'd be happy to tell them that they can call 304-837-2278. Or head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. There you can typey-typey out an email, use our SpeakPipe widget, or upload your pre-recorded audio file using our handy-dandy feedback form. Back to you, Doug. Oh, man. Alrighty, are we ready for spoilers? Dum, mm, dum, dum. Oh we my are. Goodness. We are? Okay, let's do this. If you don't want to know what's coming up next, well, thank you for joining us. And who could blame you? It's been a while. <laughs> so, next week, two episodes. Just two. It's the last week with multiple episodes. The first episode is entitled Soto Voce. Which is kind of, I believe the uh, definition is like under your breath or quietly or out of sight. The mysterious criminal mastermind known as The Voice 
returns. Wait a minute. Adam, uh, Adam, and uh, Pharrell, and <laughs> oh, you talking about the, the, the yes? That's a different network, man. That's a different network. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was just wondering if they're all actually a gang of criminal masterminds. Blake, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's Gwen, Blake, uh, Adam, and well, it's Chris, uh, Christina, Christina actually. This, uh, this, uh, this oh, year, is it Christina. Okay, this season, yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's try this one again. <laughs> the mysterious mis- criminal mastermind known as The Voice returns. Oh, you know who that is? No, I'm trying to remember who The that Voice was, is. That's the guy, and they, they never paid it off. He was like, he, Finch got a call from this guy, and uh, I think it was the end of season three, or near the end of season three, or maybe it was in four, but he got a phone call, and they it was some guy talking to him saying, you know, I'm watching you. We thought it was going to be the new bad guy in town. Yeah. And he never, nothing happened. Wow. I ah. forgot about that. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and watch that episode again. Now. That must be him. Okay. He returns and traps Reese and Fusco in their own precinct with several armed gang members and the latest POI. Also, Root makes a shocking discovery on Person of Interest Monday, May 30th at... 9.59, come on, guys, 10 o'clock Eastern Time Yeah, on the ZBS television network. Who's our, who's our cool cast member of the week? Cool cast member of the week. We got all the usual regular cast. We're going to have uh, uh, Enrico Colantoni as Elias, but don't don't worry. You've got you got to look out for Jose Joaquin Perez as Cowboy Hat. He's <laughs> just the hat? Like, there's I, the, I, I, is he wearing is chaps name? at least? I mean, <laughs> is he an actual hat? I don't know. Well, you you should have seen me, and I played person of interest. I was the you know the hat on the shelf there. You know, I <laughs> I got a lot of good reviews about that. Okay, keep an eye out for him. It is written by Sabir Perzada and directed by Margot Lulick. And then, oh, this is this I think is going to be a killer as well. The title alone is so. Uh, the day the world went away. Finch's number comes up. Finch's number comes up. When a fatal error blows his cover identity and sets off a deadly series of escalating encounters with Samaritan's goon uh, operatives on the 100th episode of Person of Interest. So usually episode 100 is like a big milestone and they really pull out all the stops. So you thought 6741 was big. I have a feeling this is going to be big as well. And we have all the usual cast, Reese, Finch, Fusco, Shaw and Root. Greer is back, Elias is back, Jeff Blackwell, of course, our painter friend, Zachary, and don't forget to look for Narrington Walters Jr. as Banger. Like a is sausage? he a banger or is his name Banger? I don't know, but Narrington, we're looking for you. Hmm. Maybe he's like a big sausage. Oh, could Carry, be. Carrying yes. on the Irish theme. <laughs> this one's written by two people, Andy Callahan and Melissa Scribner-Love, mm. and directed by Fred you are a Toya. Yeah, he's he's a great writer. So he's yeah he's done a, a number of POIs and they have been good. Yep. So stand back. Well, cool. I can't wait uh, for that, and I can't wait for that to be over because that means no more doubled up episodes for the remainder Oof. of the season. Well, thank you for uh, your uh, sticking Patience. with us. You know, I don't know if you've had to pause it and take a, a bathroom break. Or not, we could not. We endured through this whole thing without taking a bathroom break. And uh, 
that's probably one of the next things I'll be doing, uh, Doug, uh, when, <laughs> when we hit that record button to stop this thing. TMI, I know. I'm sorry. You know what? We're all family here. We're friends. Yeah. You know? Everybody, I, 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 I feel your pain. <laughs> but we're so glad you've joined us in for this marathon of an episode. Thank you for listening. And I'm Daryl, and you know what? I'm going to go work on reprogramming my printer so I can send secret messages to Doug. I'll be listening for them. And I'm Doug, saying that if your number comes up, we hope there's a man in a suit or a caterer slash ballerina slash radio producer slash nurse. Did I miss anything? Watching over you. <laughs> <laughs>